Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday, that means it is Midweek Motorsport, I'm John Hindhoff, it's a bit sort of close and overcast and sweaty and why can't we just have a bit of rain to break the hot weather, and we're in England, believe it or not, windows wide open, uh, doors wide open, getting as much air through Hindhoff Towers as we can, uh, and it's kind of working, kind of working, on a packed show tonight, in an even hotter and sweatier London, I could only imagine in our main control room with all that equipment. Tim Gray is up in London on a packed show tonight, on a sweaty show tonight. Tim, what do we have? Uh, certainly no sweat here. It's not even particularly hot in here. And over the last uh, couple of hours, the temperature has plummeted from 33 Celsius down to 27 outside. Okay. Uh, cooler than plummeted. that inside. Um, well, that, that's quite a substantial drop. Six degrees... Of separation. That, that's that's 11.5 of you American degrees. Mm. Moving on. Uh, I was going to say we have all the usual features. It's not true, but we do have a big interview this week. Uh, we'll be joined by Shay Adam. Uh, yeah. We will be talking to uh, Phil Hansen about European Le Mans series. Uh, yes. I should say the big interview was a pre-record. I did it at the weekend at Spa. And Richard Dean of United Autosport will be talking to us. It's worth a listen. It was recorded before the big news of the week. But interestingly, we talked about the potential of the big news of the week, which we'll obviously go into in a moment. Uh, And uh, I think it's worthwhile still running it. That's why we decided still to run it. And a lot of stuff was generic as well. I can confirm, by the way, that I am not on the beach... Uh, however, Declan Brennan is not with us tonight because he is on the beach. Which is great because he's there with the boy. Yeah. He was, he's there with the wrist, Chill Jr. And, enjoying uh, a bit of sunshine. Nick Damon is also not with us tonight because he's uh, on one of my favourite beaches. He'll not be on a beach. Do you think not? Not at this time no. of night, no. But I'm no, sure he would have been he, at some he's point. Not, he's not a beach type person and neither is Rachel, I don't think. Mm. He'll be in the hotel. What a waste. Going all that way, where and that lovely coastline just to sit in a hotel. Anyway, he has pre-recorded some uh, bits for us to talk uh, or to play in tonight. So we will have Nick Damon's team-by-team guide to the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. We will have a hooray, and uh, he'll also be looking forward to this weekend's uh, Grand Grand Prix of España at the Circuit of Catalonia. I enjoyed the two Shires Grand Prix last weekend. Not. 
We'll but talk I won't about get that a talk about it. I don't, I don't think I'll get a talk about it, will I? No, not really. I tried to watch it three times and fell asleep three times, so eventually I just went for the highlights. Yes. It wasn't a classic, was it, for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix of the Two Shires? Well, I mean, it wasn't the 70th anniversary because that was months ago. Um, I know, but... I thought it was better than the uh, British Grand Prix the previous week. Oh, no, I disagree. I think Massively. It, it started... Um, With a kiss? No, no. It was hot chocolate. It didn't start uh, quite as uh, excitingly because um, there weren't See, two that's safety a cars. Weren't two safety cars in the first twelve laps, um, but by the end it was really good. Mm. Uh, and Mercedes managed to lose it by not getting the right tactics and by being done over by Pirelli pumping the tyres up to a ridiculous pressure. So well, we'll see what Nick says about that. Well, he can say whatever he wants, but that's the truth of it. Um, and your tweets, please. At speculative, I haven't even heard what Nick's got to say. Your tweets at speculative. Let's have uh, a few that have come in early. Airfares from Matt Endine saving the podcast for the drive to an evening auto test at Brands Hatch. Oh, I'm envious. I haven't done an auto test in years. I just had I had the perfect car for that as well. That's just gone back today with a proper handbrake and three pedals and a gear lever. How annoying. Uh, hello to Neil Gardner, who's tuned in tonight. Seraphine Chu is looking forward to tuning in while sweating profusely on the floor. Yes. Uh, hello to Kevin Pin. I'll be listening live again tonight. Uh, highly probable, highly probable to... Uh, highly probable I'll be tweeting nonsense during the show, says Kevin Pin. Never nonsense, Kevin. Daniel Summerskill, EFA's tonight, finishing a uni assignment. Hope they'll be listening in the morning. Not surprised to hear Total Wolf say Max and Red Bull are on par with Mercedes. This talk always happens whenever the Mercs have a minor crisis. If it wasn't for the tyres, they'd have walked it. And, and as I've just said, if it wasn't for the ridiculously high starting pressures, Mercs would have walked, walked it as well. Uh, Skirt, Scott Third Wheel says, podcast again. Keep well and look forward to great content. Uh, hello... To Yoda's uncle, uh, listening so long as the electric storm doesn't interfere tonight. Brody, with the flat four, says no AFAs tonight. Self-isolating in the garage. Where will I spend the rest of the year on all this motorsport where I tinkle? Tinker, not tinkle, I hope. That would be something else entirely, Brody. Uh, He'll be in there. He'll be in there all year without motorsport. Uh, hello to Dave Monks, who is in Bavaria, where the schnitzel and the Grauburgunder comes from. Very envious. Uh, Phil Roberts, tuning in live for the first time tonight. Normally catches the podcast at work. Uh, James Buchanan is listening tonight. Alexander Orkin, beef stir-fry for supper. Tad later than planned. Hopefully no AFAs needed. Anticipating another good show. Right turn, lover, tuning in while still cooking and awaiting the arrival of the thunderstorm promise for my area as well. We've got uh, a partially forgust Monterey, says Carol Brink. Kevin there as well, and off to Thermal for 114 degrees Fahrenheit weather tomorrow. was that much cooler than that today, eh, to be honest. David it Tubrew. was much cooler than that, John. Don't exaggerate. 
It was 36 here today. Yeah, so that's 95. Yes, well. 96. And very muggy. Um, also tuning in and wishing for some thunderstorms, says David Tubrews. Uh, ETA for the storms, 2300 in London. Good that I won't be at Le Mans in September. Some friends and I thinking of a camping trip with a big screen. How about a collective, socially distanced meet-up somewhere? Like that bloke quite... who, um, in Cheshire who had a big screen on his farm for Live Aid in 1985. Do you think he's still got the screen? Or no, the farm? he hired it. He might, oh, okay. he might not even have the farm. It's probably converted into the M6 toll now, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Or um, HS2. Rob Chalmers says, listening live tonight while catching up with today's penultimate Formula E of the season. Uh, we'll have some Formula E news. Shall we just do the Formula E news now and say congratulations to the winner? Yes, congratulations to Antonio Felix Costa, who uh, is champion already with uh, a couple of races to go. Great. Afternoon birthday drinks and food combined with prep for upcoming road trip means podcast for Dave Charlton tonight. He's tweeted at Specutainment. Good evening to, to Dave Olcock on the, Olcock on the uh, filed coast. No thunderstorms there yet either. Spooner in orange, no AFAs tonight. Uh, too wet and stormy for a, a, right, a cycle. Chance to relax after the double stint at the GP. But ready to compete the quadruple Silverstone UK and Orange again the next two weekends to all the marshals, including Spooner and everyone else. And I know there's plenty listening in. Thank you very much indeed. Very much indeed. Uh, who else have we got? Shea uh, Adams. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Very quickly before we go to the top story, Kevin Glass is listening live on the drive home from the Muskokas. Thanks to Shea for the food recommendations. Looking forward to the next few weekends of volunteering. Only one top story tonight, Tim. But before we do it, just to prove that we oh. are live tonight. 2-0? Uh, it is 153 for 8. Um, for the Vancouver Vibes and the BC Champions need 147 runs and 18.5 overs they're currently 7 without loss and hello to Jack Martin who's uh, listening to us in the morning looking forward to WEC Uh, top story tonight there's really only one story that uh, we can lead with tonight uh, given our Le Mans heritage and that is that this year's Le Mans will run behind closed doors and when we get behind... Do you want the jingle? I wasn't going to do it. Doors. No, I think we should do a new version. Behind closed doors, you can't see the cars go around. So have the radio on. It's the only way to find out what goes on behind closed doors. Absolutely. Uh, because we will still be covering them on, won't we, John? We've said this uh, throughout. That Nothing's No changed. matter what happens, Correct. you will hear every session on Radio Le Mans. You will hear every 24-hour session... Uh, when it's live, on the track, free, no blocks, no breaks, we'll bring it to you. However it happens, whenever it happens, wherever it happens, nothing has changed. So RS1, absolutely, you'll be able to listen on that. Uh, we're talking to the guys at XM Sirius, and it looks like that's going to happen again as well. So what we can say is the only full, free, live, and totally coverage will once again be on RS1, and that will start from Thursday, of course. 
Now, what we will be able to tell you in the next couple of weeks is what will go around that in terms of what other programming. Yes. Um, that, that there's not a lot of detail for any of the right holders, and Radio Show Limited uh, are right holders because we're an official broadcaster for the ACO. So there's not a lot of detail about how right, hold, right holders are going to be able to cover it when that comes through, and you can understand why, that's no criticism whatsoever. Everybody's working very hard. When that comes through, we'll tell you the other programmes that are going to go around. And in fairness, we never really finalise our full programme schedule in Le Mans week till at least sort of 10 days, two weeks beforehand. Yeah, we will day have we start to have a beginning of a final schedule. Yeah, and we have got WEC this weekend with Bruce and Johnny on Saturday. So it's, that is Friday and Saturday from Spa. Um, and that will be the last WEC race before Le Mans. And we have... And remember, uh, no test day this year. No test day, no. But we will have our usual pre-Le Mans previews yes. uh, on RS1. So that won't change either. So nothing's really changed. If and, and the other thing that hasn't, the track. hasn't changed uh, because of the announcement that it's behind closed doors is the schedule of uh, what sessions are going to happen when. And you mentioned earlier that Thursday you have the uh, free practice session one, uh, qualifying yep. practice, and free practice session three. Oh, there was a free practice session two there. I missed that, obviously. Uh, Friday we have the hyperpole. And uh, obviously, and free practice session four also on Friday. Uh, yeah. And we have on Saturday and Sunday warm up and the race as usual. Correct. And uh, we will, as Tim has said and as we've said, you will not miss a single moment that the, uh, that the 24 hour cars are out on track. It will all be there. Uh, and more details as we can give them. However, there is a group of people who are affected by Correct. the announcement on Monday, and that's the people who had tickets. Now, already, uh, by moving to September instead of June, the ACO had tried to mitigate uh, these circumstances, but they still were intending to run with a much smaller crowd and limited ticket sales to 50,000, uh, which is a tiny fraction of what you'd normally expect. Uh, those 50,000 ticket holders and people who've booked travel packages uh, will now be wondering what to do, although a lot of them would have been contacted by their tour operators already. Uh, but earlier today, John spoke to Richard Webb of Travel Destinations uh, to find out what the story is for everyone else. We've been preparing for this scenario for weeks, no, probably months. Um, you know, as always, as you would expect with, with all companies like us, we have plan A, plan B, plan C, etc. So it, it was it was no big surprise. Um, and we have taken on board, as we always do, the working in the same way is it's all about communication. Um, and we've been bashing the telephones and getting in touch with all our customers, um, those that are not on holiday and other things already. Um, and we're talking to them and making plans for them and um, they're understanding and they, they, everybody's disappointed. We're disappointed. Um, however, they understand and, and I believe most people think it's the right decision um, given the circumstances. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're talking to everybody. We're getting them sorted. And, and when I say getting them sorted, that means that they're being offered options. Um, and those options in 
in in stark kind of terms are either to move the booking to 2021 which they're more than happy to do and we're guaranteeing the price for anybody that moves their booking forward um so there's no surcharges and things for next year so that's being done or um they can move to another event of course as well um they decide that they can't for some reason they can't do june um but they can do july they could move to the le mans classic for example so, so effectively, you're you're seeing that store credit with anything that travel destinations do that it doesn't have to be ACO involved. So, oh, totally it, no, no, yeah, yeah. It means it means basically that if people you know that want to go, and wow. let's face it, lots of people are desperate to do something <laughs> now. We've all been cooped up for too long, so we're all desperate to do something. So anybody that wants to do things next year, you know, it could be. Um, spa, it could be Nürburgring, it could be, um, say, Le Mans, but Le Mans Classic, it could be the Spa Classic, it could be, uh, you know, Rolex 24 and Sebring for, for all we know. So, right. um, so anybody can do that. And then ultimately, everybody has the choice. And as you would expect, um, they can have and have been able to choose a re- full refund if right. that's what they wanted to do. Now, that's quite important, Richard, because... Uh, we're talking here about travel destinations customers so full store credit as i've as i've called it take your choice <laughs> of another or or take your money back and you guys will process that straight away what's yeah, your exactly. understanding and, and I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here so i apologize mm-hmm. for this but what's no your understanding of people who um maybe have done something more independently they've got tickets from the aco they've made other yep. arrangements will they be well, able to get a full refund it's it's difficult. The, un- the answer is not necessarily. And even other agencies are being um, perhaps not as customer friendly as um, we think we are. So not all agencies are offering full refunds. They should be. Um, but that we are aware that some, I'm not going to name them, that, are, but that aren't doing that. Um, and that's customers should, you know, um, insist, quite honestly, if that's what they want to do. Um, the, there has been a change in European law passed relatively recently. Yeah, uh, in, so I'm talking about UK agencies here. Right, so, okay. Um, and even official agencies. Um, so, you know, it's important. I think it's important that you do the right thing. But um, that's you. just an opinion of um, myself and of travel destinations. The, the ACO is different and selling tickets on their own within the European Union. There was a law passed um, at the beginning of all this that meant that um, full cash refunds were not deemed necessarily immediately mm. and a voucher or credit note um could be given instead basically that was brought in to try and protect um theaters um cinemas um other music music venues whatever it might be some hotels Uh, have taken advantage of that as well i know from from our experience that we're still waiting that's true so it's it's become it's become a legal night you know minefield to be honest and customers are don't know whether they're coming or going um, and airlines are taking advantage of that in in places as well um, so it's become it's not quite the wild west but it's become difficult for to, to know exactly what you're entitled to and what you're not um, people that have booked through the ACO. Um, if they're coming from the UK, they'd have had to have booked their own ferry crossings. Ferry companies aren't necessarily refunding. Copy. Some are only giving vouchers. Some are allowing free rebooks. 
um, effectively giving them credit. Um, others are others are refunding. So it's not one size fits all, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and that is that is a problem. That is really a problem. Let's look on the positive side to finish uh, this. Um, we. We now have a little more clarity about what's happening or indeed what isn't happening at Le Mans for 2020. But we have to look at 2021 now and say it's a clean slate and we'll we'll start again, presumably, do we? Well, uh, yeah, you know, it's what's, what we've noticed is that people are, you know, and I'm, I've said before on this program, and I'll say it again, that we have to be very thankful to our customers for um, their um, loyalty, because so many of them have been happy to um, and have requested to postpone um, or what I could transfer forward their booking to 2021. Yeah. So just before I came on, I had a quick look at our um, availabilities and uh, just for some of the, the areas that we offer in particular at the Le Mans 24 Hours. So for 2021, our famous Porsche Curves private campsite um, with the private viewing bank um, is already 85% wow. full. So 85% wow. full already. Um, our event tents, our glamping tents, they're already 68% full. And our Flexitel, our cabins um, that we build in the centre of the circuit, um, is already 60% full. So you get a feeling of there is a lot of pent-up demand there Good. of people that want to go. And it's really positive. It's no, that's, br- that's brilliant, Richard. That really is br- brilliant. And, and listen... And in three weeks after that is the Le Mans Classic. Yep. That's the 1st of the 4th of July. And already now we have sold more entrance tickets for Le Mans Classic 2021 than we did at the last event in 2018 in total. Right, okay. That, that's positive and that's a great place so to finish. To travel. People are keen to go to these events and they really want to go. Uh, well, you, you've done the right thing. You've said that. Uh, you've intimated that. I'm going to say it out loud. Um, and, and well done <laughs> to you and all the team for working so hard to get in touch with people personally as well. Pa- pass on our best to everybody down there and hopefully the next time we're speaking to you it's on on even more positive terms richard webb from travel destinations thanks for joining us thanks john richard webb talking to john earlier uh, and one thing that is almost a scary figure there those numbers for 2021 sales john if book you now. think if you think you can wait till spring to book your le mans 2021 no. uh, ticket you're going to be disappointed or classic, or, or classic, or classic. as well and, and don't forget, you know, that put that is going to stay, Classic's going to stay on the odd years from now on. So 23, the next Classic, that will be the 100th anniversary as well. That'll be mental. So you're going to have to start thinking ahead and planning ahead much more now than you've ever done before, I have to say. Uh, Rob Chalmers saying, uh, Le Mans, Port Ferme, exactly how short of Port Saddam's Gendarmerie on the roads, how are they going to stop... Uh, people showing up to the public road bits. Well, I presume, Rob, the same way they do every year when you either need a ticket to get there or it's not allowed for spectators. I I don't think they're going to skimp on security or um, barriering things off. Probably a few more people, to be honest, on that. It's a question that we've sat and thought about, and and I'm sure that's something that they have... Uh, something that they have discussed with the local uh, local authorities uh, as well. Um, but clearly, they'll need far fewer stewards within the circuit. Maybe they can deploy some of those. But there's only so many places that you can get in. And as I say, some of those places are not allowed for spectators even in a normal year. So I presume it will be something 
certainly uh, that they will be looking at. Right, Turn Lover, will you be sending an FM transmitter? I know not a lot of listeners. Uh, honestly, we don't know at the moment. Uh, RTL, uh, none of the broadcasters know what access they are going to get. Don't know what access they're going to get to a TV compound, if there will be a TV compound. Uh, we know that a number of European and international broadcasters won't be sending people there. We know that already. They've already said that. Uh, and the others who are still weighing things up, like ourselves here at Radio Show Limited, it will uh, very much come down to what access we are allowed to have. And uh, if, particularly for something like an FM transmitter, we need to have very specific access to very specific areas of the track. And unfortunately, where the FM transmitter needs to be, uh, we might not be able to get to. Uh, and if, if that's the case, then that'll be taken out of our hands. But that's pure speculation at the moment. We don't know. What we do know is for, for, for those of you not at the track, which is everybody who's not there driving or fixing or a car. Or of Le Mans. Well, yeah, but they, they won't be at the track either, the track. Tim. No, they'll be, they'll be in the town listening or the surrounding yeah, countryside. But that's, you see, you've got internet for that, haven't yes. you? Yes. Uh, and everybody who's in the paddock in the, in, and the however many journals, uh, and what was it described as? A very restricted amount of of media. Uh, most of the teams I've talked to won't be sending their press and media delegates to the track. They'll all be doing it off-site, uh, much as happens at IMSA and one or two other places as well. So I know... Uh, as I say, I, I know most of them won't be sending people, um, so it's going to it's going to look very different um, from the TV pictures. There's not going to be as much TV coverage, particularly of the uh, support races. There'll be no pictures of, at all from the first uh, Road to Le Mans race. We've had some pictures at the track in the past, and then they've cut those into highlights. They aren't going to happen this year at all. Um, that's already been. Uh, mentioned to the broadcasters so things are going to look very very different however not on on rsl and radio show limited that's the main thing keep your tweets coming in at uh at, at rsl at uh, specutainment uh if you would like to get in touch jill's outy bridge uh close he says oh yeah that's a proper word for describing uh, track uh, temperatures and conditions Lama Lava-tastic. Mm, indeed so. And, and hello to Marcel Tenkart. Hello, mate. Hope you're all right. Good to know that you're tuning in. Long time uh, since you've been tuning in live. Best wishes to you uh, listening in to this evening. And hello to Gonzo. Indre, region of France. Gigantic uh, thunderstorms. Nick H. Listening in tonight. Elia Filippone. Uh, also... Uh, confirming not on a beach as well, Tim. So that's that's uh, several of us not on a beach. Yes, tonight. But also several of uh, us who are. Although you're I would having doubts about Nick. I don't think he'll be on a beach. Absolutely. Uh, Stephen Gardner not listening live. Uh, Rob Jenner uh, listening in. Kevin Payne, David Harvey, uh, and Victor Ellis. S- uh, rainy summer af- Atlanta afternoon making some. Penne alle bolognese for dinner. And he has some very nice small vine ripened tomatoes in red and 
yellow. Uh, Tim Gray, where would you like to go next? Uh, I'd like to go to IndyCar next. I know that that wasn't next on our running order, but I'm changing things. Uh, and okay. first of all, let's say good afternoon to Shay Adam. Hello, Shay. Hello, how are you, John? Hello. That, that's good. That's as good as that's good as that's a next hooray. Are oh, you yes, on the beach, exactly. Shay? I, she's near to the beach. I drove along the beach about three hours ago. Does that count? Not really. Well, she's been Aww. on the beach. She, she has been on the beach, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I think I'd be more confident saying Nick has been on the beach than Nick is Do not. Do you think? Yes. I bet he's been by the pool. You don't go to a coastline like that just to go to a pool, surely. You haven't said where he is yet, by the way. Uh, do we want to? Okay. He'll have right, hundreds of fans tracking him down. The paparazzi will be getting photos of him in his bathing costume. Or yeah, all right, let's not. move on from that. Shall we uh, move on from that? <laughs> the Indy 500 is underway, isn't it, Shay? Sorry, Nick, I did that in your honor. (laughs) Uh, Practice for the Indy 500 has begun. That started this morning. So far, the fastest car out on track is the guy with the giant championship lead, Scott Dixon, 224 miles an hour. He is about a mile an hour clear of Joseph Newgarden so far. So that's pretty cool that uh, Scotty's continuing on his good form. Oh, and what's this then? This is just pr- free practice. When is the, the race? It, so the, the so, race is still a month away, is it? No, the race is next weekend. Oh, really? Um, that's the reason that for VIR, uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is running on Saturday because the 104th Indy 500 oh, is going to be on you don't Sunday. Mean, right, so ne- not this weekend coming, the weekend after. So it's two Correct. weekends away. Okay, right, that's fine. This weekend Phew. coming is qualifying for the Indy 500, which is why there's practice starting today so that they can get the cars ready for the big qualifying event Saturday and Sunday. Right, okay. That's the uh, three have o'clock we got- on Saturday, isn't it, uh, Shay? And then uh, Fast Nine's at one o'clock on Sunday. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I'll, have I'll we got? Have we finally got thirty-three cars? So we haven't got a bump day, but have we yeah. actually got thirty-three cars? Yes, we do, and that is quite the interesting story because when we last talked last week, we actually mentioned the fact that it looked like it was going to be thirty-one cars mm. because of the added stress to try and prepare two more cars. We were hopeful that it would be Steph Wilson getting an opportunity to drive because you know, good person de- deserves an opportunity. Um, But the last two seats were filled by Dragon Speed with Ben Hanley entering a car. And I think, who was the other one? There was uh, J.R. Hildebrand is driving for DRR, so Dreyer Reinhold. uh, That all came together fairly last minute. But we do have a full field of 33 cars. No bump day, but at least we have all the cars. That's pretty cool. Uh, And no Pippa Man either, sadly. No. No, and she is definitely missed, given all the, the good attention that she brings and, and raises so much awareness and, and funds, quite frankly, for the Susan G. Komen Foundation and breast cancer. Mm. Um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that we've got these big races coming. They have to happen. Um, I, I don't know. And I'm disappointed that there was only th- 33 entries. We mentioned Steph was prepared to drive and give up all of his potential earnings as well just to get into it. Um, yeah, we wish them all the best uh, for that and uh, tune in at the weekend for quality and then a week the following weekend, of course, 
for the race itself. What else would you like to talk about? Uh, well, with Shea? before we move away from this, the five rookies at the Indy 500 this year. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, Patricio Award and Oliver Askew, the two superstars with uh, Aero McLaren SP, they've both been impressive in the non-indie rounds, so it was kind of interesting to see their names on the timing screen just a little while ago for the uh, rookie and refresher session that went out. Renus VK was the fastest of all the drivers in that session, as a matter of fact, and He's already been turning heads so far this year. Dalton Kellett, the young Canadian, he too is a rookie. He's driving car number 41 for uh, AJ Foyt. And, of course, Alex Palou, who's, again, somebody that the NBC broadcasters at least seem to be very hot on. So five rookies is a good number. And quite a few people coming back in just as sort of a one-off race, including Elio. And, and we saw the form of Elio at Road America a couple of weeks ago, John. This is a guy who's definitely pumped up to get back in an Indy car and show what he can do. Yeah. And Helio's one of eight uh, former winners who'll be taking past, part this year, which is the highest number of former winners we've had since oh, 1992. Right. Oh. oh, wow. Well, he's joined by Scott Dixon, Will Power, Tony Kanaan, Simon Pagano after last year winning the pole and the race, uh, Alex Rossi, Ryan hunter Ray. Takuma Sato, that's not a bad list of people to have your name next to. Hmm. Very good. Very good. Anybody else on the page? There's a certain melody. No, maybe not. Uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, entry list. You knew I was going to do that, though, didn't you? <laughs> I <laughs> hoped you weren't. Entry list are out for uh, IMSA at VIR, Shay. Yeah, and they just came out, so I haven't really had time yet to do a, a deep dive into all of them. But if we go series by series for the ones that are out, for WeatherTech, 20 cars for 20 years of racing at VIR back since uh, the track was reopened. And before anybody says, what, only 20 cars? No prototypes, remember. This is a GT-only yeah. event here, isn't it? Exactly. So we've got the six cars from GTLM, the six that we expect to BMW, two Porsche, two Corvette. But we've got 14 GTD cars because, once again, we've got the heart of racing coming back. Hopefully this time they've got the fuel issue figured out with the car and they will be able to run. But more importantly, the last time that Paul Miller Racing ran, they won the race. That was the 24 Hours of Daytona back in January. We've got Brian and Madison back mm. in the Lamborghini for the 48 once again this weekend. And they After a win at the weekend, yeah. Well, they crossed the line first in both races. They were handed a time penalty post-race for race two because of an improper start formation. So that was a little bit of uh, interest after the race. But we do get these two guys back. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Pilot Challenge has a very juicy entry list. Uh, 22 cars in GS, but there's one car in particular that jumps out to me that I think you're going to really enjoy too, John. If you look at the 99 automatic racing Aston Martin, Charles and Charlie are back. Oh, Charlie really? Putman and Charles Espenlaub. They tend to come play once a year. They tend to make that trip to VIR. So I am so happy to see those two guys back. That's brilliant stuff. Uh, they've yeah. been dashing backwards and forwards to uh, Europe, of course, to do some Kreventic uh, bits and pieces, but with a little bit of a slowdown in their schedule back in the States. That's that's very good to yeah. hear. Uh, we'll have coverage of that in a couple of weekends' time, of course, or over on RS2, IMSA Radio. Share, what else have you got? Uh, two more series, just looking really quickly at the it's a busy ITC. busy weekend, isn't it? 
it's all five series. It is not going to be time to breathe, eat, do anything. Um, but for the prototype challenge, we've got a big driver change for car number 47. That's 47 Motorsports. It's normally JJ Square, Joel Janko, and Jonathan George. Well, Joel is still on the car, but he's being joined by Kyle Kirkwood for that weekend. And the last time that Kyle drove with them was at Daytona, where they wound up on the top step of the podium. So after two bad races, they're looking for a little bit of change within that team. And we'll see if it works with the Norma. But 14 entries for that event, that's going to be a very solid race. Yeah, means we're going to be very, very busy. Yeah. And then in GT3 Cup, I've got another one that's going to interest you. We've got an additional platinum car. We've got 17 cars entered for that weekend for that race. But Brian Henderson, who's a guy that we've come to like for racing for the Atlanta Speedworks team and TCR for Michelin Pilot Challenge, he's in a JDX Porsche. That is going to be super fun to watch and see how Brian can adapt to driving the Porsche. Uh, Dave Alcott, uh, sorry, are you? is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, just a couple of questions, Tim, on yes. the uh, on the uh, Port Ferme at Le Mans. Uh, not wanting to focus on the negative, says Dave Olcott, but why have the fans been banned? Was it an ACO decision or a French government decision? It's a fair point, actually, because the the uh, we we've talked about the implications of it, but there was a press release on Monday which gave some detail. Uh, there was a thought that they might get various little zones of up to 5,000 people as allowed by French law. Nothing to do with uh, segregation, just how many you can have together. So what was the what was the reason in the press release? So this was a decision, it's nothing to do with the national government, this is a decision uh, between the ACO and uh, the local authorities. Um, so the French government is not banning mass gatherings. In fact, it's allowing larger mass gatherings. You can have uh, mass gatherings of more than 5,000 people uh, very soon. But this was uh, the result of discussions between the ACO and the local authority um, about uh, organising something of this scale over so many days. Right, Okay. Uh, This from Smudger, listening live under quarantine on the Isle of Man after a flying visit to see my poorly father in Hyam F. I presume that's Hyam Ferris, which is not too far away. Just need to add, travel destination spot on, customer focused, good for them. Looking forward to 2021. I can't believe you were at Hyam Ferris and didn't pop in for a cup of tea, Smudger. I hope your dad uh, gets well soon and uh, stay listening on the Isle of Man. Sarah Rigby's tuned in uh, tonight uh, as well. Uh, at Specutainment, if you'd like to uh, get in touch with us. Shall we move on to a bit of Le Mans news itself then, Tim? Uh, certainly some ACO Rules Racing news, yes. OK, what have you got? Uh, Shall we start with uh, Mr McMurray? Ah. <laughs> Once the Seems appropriate. Yeah, very uh, held the title as as a few have done down through the years of uh, youngest driver to start Le Mans at one stage, wasn't he? He still is. Is he still the one that holds it? He is. Is still that one with Julian Andlauer? Uh, or no, actually, you might be right. I think. You know what? I'm going to have to look that up because I think Matt was younger. I think he was still 16 at the time. Right. When he ran them all, uh, and he took the youngest starter and finisher title away from uh, Gunnar Jeanette, as yeah. it was back then. Yes, it was. I remember Gunnar Jeanette at the weekend, and yeah. Johnny forgot Julian Andlow, which we had to be told. 
Um, and, and by the way, did you interview Brendan Hartley's brother by accident at Le Mans? No. No. See, that was a non-story. Uh, no. So what's happening? <laughs> what's happening with Matt McMurray? Only those who've seen the story will understand that, and I'm not explaining it. Uh, you didn't you know the show three weeks ago, so go back and listen to the podcast if you missed it. Yeah. You, you and Jim Brawler both know Brendan Hartley and would not have confused him with his brother. Um, and I was already friends with him by that stage, so I would exactly. have been... Yeah, exactly. Uh, no. No matter um, what, what uh, rear suit he was wearing. Right, what's happening with that? McMurray? probably would have been a bigger story. You could have asked him why he was standing there wearing his brother's race suit. Well, that's true. And, that would ha- and probably would have. What's happening with Matt McMurray? Uh, Matt McMurray is not only driving the number 86 uh, Meyer Shank Racing Acura in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, he's reuniting with the team that he has run with in the past to compete at Le Mans once again. So Algarve Pro announced this morning that he will be in the team's Gibson alongside Wynn Trummer and John Falb for the running of Le Mans. So that means that it's going to be a couple busy weeks for Matt, uh, jumping back and forth between the GTD car and LMP2 car once again. And he won uh, last year the LMP2 championship in the U.S. So it's good to see Matt getting an opportunity to hone his prototype skills a little bit more. Carry on, Tim. It's not the only uh, sports car story we have, is it? What else have we got? I don't know. We've got I've lost weather that paper. Tech. You, you tell All right. me. Uh, Shay's got a, Shay's got Shay's a couple, got couple of more Le Mans stories. Go on, Shay. <laughs> I've got you. I've got a couple more pieces of paper here. Uh, WeatherTech Racing for Le Mans also. They have switched classes. Oh, so yes, they yes. were entered in GTEM with Cooper... Uh, Tony Valander and I believe it was Jeff Westfall was going to be their third driver. They've switched to GTE Pro. It's the second time that Cooper McNeil has run in that category. He did it a few years back, well, six years back now, uh, when it was just he and Jerome Bleakmullen driving in a Porsche. But instead of Jeff, they now are sharing with another Jeff, Jeff Seagal, who has one of the best records at Le Mans that you could possibly hope to get. Um, so that's very interesting to see them making that change. Well, uh, and people might say, hang on a second, why would you want to go up against the factory cars? And that's a reasonable ask, except when you realise there are so few factory cars, you don't have to have much carnage there to get yourself on the podium. Yeah, and it is an interesting um, prospect because I did exactly that, John. I thought, why would they want to go up against AF Course with two cars and mm. Reese with one car and Aston Martin with two cars and Porsche who were with all two in, cars? Who were all in the AM class, yeah. It, well, and then you throw all this into the, the pro category and you start thinking, but their their logic was much more sound in that they were talking to some bronze drivers and trying to find the right puzzle pieces to make it fit into the GTEM category. Instead of making it fit, they've just picked the puzzle pieces they want and they've decided if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Great. Doesn't matter if it's pro or am. We're there to win. Yeah, that's. I like that. I like that. And another Le Mans story, Shay? Uh, Tom Blankfist has been given the call up to come and run at Le Mans with Hub Auto. So that's going to be another exciting person who's familiar to IMSA. He's going to be in a Ferrari number 72, and that will be in the Pro-Am category. Uh, he joins Marcos Gomez and Morris Chen in that car. So uh, another exciting opportunity for a young uh, Brit. Right. Okay. Uh, thank you, Cher, for the moment. Stay there. Don't go away. We may need you in the uh, later. Hour, yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, quick story from you. Yes. Uh, looking back on something that happened last weekend that you may not have seen. 
uh, because it was round two of the Autobahn Super GT series at the Takakono Hotel oh, right, Fuji okay. Circuit, 300 kilometers around Fuji. And the GT500 class was won by the number 17 Honda NSX GT of Kudai Tsukakoshi and Bertrand Baguette. Uh, they started on the front row in second place, took the lead on lap 15 and then pulled away into the distance uh, and nobody challenged them at all. GT300, though, was won by the Sintian Apple Lotus of Hiroki Kato and Masataka Yanagida, uh, their first victory in 10 years. Uh, you may notice we haven't talked about any bikes yet. We were hoping to get decks for that. Unfortunately, he's not able to. We're going to try and he's catch up on, on that. Uh, <laughs> And now I've dumped the Chris Rea. Um, the, uh, we'll, we'll try and catch up on some of that because you don't need just to hear me talking about that because that would go on about two wheels for hours. But you and will do in the second hour briefly. Will I? Okay, fine. I, I can have a bit of a can have a bit of a go on about it. That's I good. asked you okay. to do some special research, so I'm not going to l- put that to waste. Well, you, you might be disappointed by that because that was quite difficult to do given the broadcasters. Um, lack of coverage of the particular races that you asked me to look ah. at but but I'll have a, I'll have a go I'll have a go um Thursday it's big Thursday tomorrow night two more magazine shows including a very special on the grid this week on the grid something just a little bit different every supercars driver we tried to speak to was unavailable on account of having gone all crocodile dundee in the northern territory scrub So, in a special show, the entire team is on board to list each of our five favourite racing cars made in Australia. Now, dear RS1 listeners, you might not have heard of some of these cars, so this might be a show in which we can educate and entertain at the same time. There's some iconic machinery listed, and some from left field, and it's all a bit of fun. We also get serious and talk four straight weeks of supercars as they continue to duck the COVID blows in the north of Australia. All the latest news and Shane Van Gisbergen on being sick of having things stuck up his nose. You would too. That and much more. It's coming your way at 9pm UK time on RS1. Well, it was another great weekend for United Autosport at Spa in the ELMS at the weekend. We'll be talking to Richard Dean in our big interview which I recorded at Spa. Um, but let's get on to the phones uh, and to Phil Hansen, who, well, let's see what he's got to say about it. Phil, first of all, congratulations. Fabulous weekend. Um, it looked fairly straightforward. I, I, I suspect you'll tell me that wasn't the case. Yeah, it's never the case, to be honest. Even when you've got a, a car like United that provided us with showing the pace in FP1, FP2 and Wally, it's, it's always a struggle because... With safety cars and the strategy always plays a big part in, in the outcome of the race. Couldn't have gone better this weekend with getting the, the point for pole and the maximum points in the race. So as a championship outlook, it's, uh, it, it was a perfect weekend. But yeah, the race wasn't, wasn't at all like that. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a good start. We, we gained a little lead at the start, but nothing massive. And then two safety cars, you know, you, you lose your lead. And we actually, we actually lost the position as well. The G-Drive got passed on one of the restarts and, um, and it was just a battle from then on between us and the G-Drive. I think for some reason we were, us and, and the 26 car were the only two cars really in our own little race. Mm. I know our, our sister United car had a, an issue when, when they made contact on the track and had to serve a, a stop and go. But I think, um, yeah, it just looked from the outset like it was a, a race of two. Two real storylines, I suppose. The safety car interventions and when they came 
which frankly didn't seem to help anybody, to be honest. There were really awkward times. And the heat, uh, we talk about the weather at Spa quite a lot, but normally we're talking about rain. Yeah, the heat was, the heat was strange. It was, um, it was sort of a humid air. It was a warm temperature, but the sun wasn't necessarily beaming down on you like in, in some of the other events, like in uh, Fort Card, for example. Um, and yeah, like you said, the, the safety cars, they didn't say into the favour of anyone, but at least of all, places in favour of the leader because at the jump at the start and being able to get a few laps of clean air, you, you do build up a couple of seconds margin that just allows you that little bit of breathing room so you, you're not forced to take any defensive lines or, you know, when you come up against traffic, there's a margin that you can play with. Um, but yeah, it was it was a strange one because we, we'd come from full regard where the temperatures were the same, incredibly, incredibly high. Um, where they have that new asphalt, where um, the drop-off wasn't crazy, and then we come from there to a track which is the same sort of, set, you know, the same sort of temperatures in terms of like the actual ambient and track weren't too dissimilar. But the deck was was unbelievable. I think yeah. um, I think it was like four or five seconds of deck, which is which is crazy. Um, especially when when the tanks are coming getting light at the end. I was quite surprised to see quite a lot of teams, including you, I think, using two sets of the three in qualifying. It's such a small championship, so if there's a point to be gained in quali, we need to we need to maximise that. And um, and at the same time, all you lose is a little bit of performance that you might have gained in the race, but I think it, after after the first five laps, it all kind of stables out, levels out, and um, I think it's a question of how much is that performance going to mean to you in the race as opposed to in quali. Um, if it's the difference between putting it on pole and putting it P6, mm-hmm. which we're seeing with such a narrow field and quality, then it's worth the risk for us at least. It may not be for other teams with uh, with more complex driver lineups, but where we're quite confident in the race and our abilities can, can manage it, um, we're fine. And obviously, the, the tire life was, uh, was an issue here. Um, the deck was massive, so 99% of that was the driver's right foot just managing, managing through the early parts of the first stint and all the way right the way through to the second thing. It's only when you get to the last sort of parts of, of the tyre when you know the next driver's going to jump in and he's going to get a new set that you can start to really push on the tyre and, and take out any life that's left over that you may have saved up through the first, first part of the second thing as well. You guys are staying on at Spa for the WEC. Looks like the weather's going to be decent. Can you take anything that you've learned from the ELMS into the WEC and shake things up a bit there? Yeah, definitely. I think we definitely can. Um, we think there's some other teams that have also opted to stay on for the record weekend as well because they've seen the advantage they'll be able to gain from you know all the data that you you acquire over the race weekend and during the race. You know, sometimes it's difficult to really simulate what the race will be like in free practice. So to actually get that race under your belt, you've got you've got the perfect data. It's the same tire, same tire compounds. You know, same tire manufacturer, same car, same drivers, same team. So it's literally like a, a practice run of yeah. what you're going to have to try and repeat this weekend and, and the fact that we want it and we're so strong means we're, we're starting off with the best fit possible for WEC which is uh, which is something I'm sure our competition will be will be fearing a bit which, is, which makes me happy <laughs> Yes of course you'll have a bit of a target though as well no doubt it's all building up to Le Mans and no test here for Le Mans this year so this, this track time that you're getting at Spa is actually really really important and after such a, a long layoff. It's, it's been a bit of an odd preparation for Le Mans this year. Where's your mind in that at the moment? Or are you not even thinking about Le Mans quite yet? 
to be honest, I'm not thinking about Le Mans at this moment. I think your mind starts to start to trek on to the upcoming races, but because it's been such a condensed calendar, we're we're thinking about the next European Le Mans series races. I think there's two races in four weeks for me mm-hmm. in this month. So um, I'm just thinking about how to manage the travel and everything with restrictions going on between the UK and other European countries and the travel and the team's doing a good job of making sure that we're abiding by the regulations at the moment. And um, and yeah, so my, my mind's very much in the near future, not really thinking ahead of them on. But I think as, as I get this race under my belt, then it's only one race in between me and that race and Le Mans. So uh, I imagine my mindset will start to change as we get a bit closer. But um, definitely not this weekend. This weekend I'm just focusing on Spa, trying to remember everything I did and, um, and hopefully repeat that. Just to underline what a difficult and crazy season it's been, you were expecting to go to Barcelona for the next ALMS and you'll be going back to Le Castellet and Paul Ricard instead. Yeah, I think everyone understands the, the climate with what's going on now with uh, quarantine and the restrictions and easing of restrictions is an ever-changing sort of climate that we have to adjust to. And everyone wants to go racing and everyone wants to participate in the most races that we can. Um, so it's a question of, is there going to be an issue at um, Barcelona, and if so, what what are we prepared to do? Are we prepared to risk it and drop down another race from six to five, and then from five mm. to four, or are we going to be proactive about it? I think the, the organisers did a very good job in jumping ship early to a country where the restrictions are are not yet as bad as they will be in the in the coming few days and weeks in in Spain, and the actual numbers look a lot more promising. So mm. I think um, I think credit to them where it's due. Uh, that they've they've managed to take the executive decision and make that change early on before we've had to stop the repercussions. Which, as a, as a person in the paddock and the driver and part of a team and who just wants to be out with the with the biggest grids possible and and the heat of the competition, I think the more races we can do, the better. Just finish up, Phil, with a quick thought about working with United and and how have you found the the Yorkshire Massive? The <laughs> Yorkshire Massive. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's great. I think when you look at down the paddock, you look at all the other teams. Level of professionality in amongst the paddock is, is stepping up every year and year. And United just continue to tick all the boxes, um, especially the driver wanting to be put themselves in the best possible um, chance to, to win races and championships. I think United ticks all the boxes for me. I mean, there's a few teams out there that can do the job, but I think I'm very much at home with uh, with English speaking team, not too far away from where I live in, in England. I mean still a few hours drive but you know it's not like I'm having to go across to France if I, if I want to see the team um, and yeah also because I've been now on board for, for just over two seasons it's, it's, it's kind of really familiar for me just like being at home so my my relationships with, the, with my teammates and my engineers and team managers and mechanics I think that it goes a long way to, to ensuring that you get the best out of everything uh, cracking job at the weekend young sir and good luck for WEC, hopefully we'll be chatting to you again after you've been on, I was going to say, on the top step of a podium. It was kind of a podium in the pit lane, and I understand why that's the way it is. There was plenty of champagne uh, still to be sprayed. I suspect the celebrations might be put on hold till t- later in the year. Phil Hansen, yeah, thanks very so. much. Thanks very much for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Have a good one, mate. Great. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you, Phil. Phil Hansen joining us on the telephone and you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Tim Gray up in London, where would you like to go next? I wouldn't really like to go anywhere, John. I'm going to stay exactly uh, with uh, what happened at Spa because United Autosports, Phil said there there were a number of teams who could do what they're doing, but actually they're 
there aren't because <laughs> they won LMP2 at Paul Ricard and LMP3 at Paul Ricard and they won LMP2 at Spa and LMP3 at Spa. No one is coming close to them. They, they are knocking it out of the park at the moment. Uh, in our big interview in about four minutes' time, five minutes' time, I recorded that on Saturday just after all of the qualifying and Richard Dean was in a pretty good mood and we we... we sort of tried to make it a little bit more generic than that but they had another great weekend and you know with all the cars that they're running they're taking about 60 people to the track and they look very 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 good indeed i i, I won't spoil the interview it's 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 worth listening to um i i enjoyed it's the first time i've been at a european le mans series event on its own since the last race of 2016, which was the last race for the Open Top P2 cars, uh, which was in Portugal. And, you, and I, was I that was not was the end of 2017, John, that you did? No, it was the end of 2016. I checked that up because oh. the 2017 would already moved to the close top cars, apparently. That's, I, I thought that too, if I'm, I'm honest. I'm pretty sure you went to the last round of 2017. Uh, I remember being at the one, the last round of the open top cars. I can't remember if I did another one after that. Maybe I did. Um, but anyway, the I enjoyed it. The of the LMS, they're going mm-hmm. back to Paul Ricard. Uh, Barcelona, uh, yes, obviously as I mentioned not, there. not uh, viable. So uh, they're calling it the 240 minutes of uh, Le Castellet. Uh, the... Yes, the Le Castellet 240, I think a certain person might have mentioned in a meeting. Um, that we were sitting in, um, which which gives it a little bit of a point of differential between the four hours of Le Castellet that we had earlier on. There's a little bit of, I thought anyway, when I mentioned it, it was a pretty good idea to, to refer to the 24 hours of Le Mans, 240 kilometres an hour plus at least round there. That's good average speed if you're going to get round... Uh, the faster bits of the circuit. Um, it worked. It worked there. They can control people. It's going to be fully behind closed doors, yes. the next one, which the first one wasn't. There were some spectators allowed in, very, very limited numbers, but not on the infield, down at the burger bar uh, and the tribune down there at the exit of the final corner. That's not going to happen for the next one. And, of course, it works fine. For uh, for Le Mans as, a, as another test for Le Mans, and um, well, we'll have more about that with Richard Dean in our big interview in a wee uh, in a wee second. And uh, before we move away from uh, ELMS and uh, MLMC, uh, congratulations to Cool Racing who got their first uh, victory in the Michelin Le Mans Cup at the weekend mm-hmm. with uh, Nicola Molini and Eduardo Cohoop. Yeah, and. Uh, Another good race, uh, just uh, as a little warm-up on the Saturday at Spa, Frank Asham. Iron Lynx took GT3, is that right? Did I remember that right? Yeah, I should have put possibly. that, I should have got the results up uh, before I, I, I mentioned that. Uh, I enjoyed that again as well. That's a really, really competitive series uh, and a really good proving ground that uh, the MLMC, uh, the Sorry, um, yeah, the MLMC has provided, Michelin Le Mans Cup has provided uh, for drivers, teams, sponsors, uh, and for the crews as well. Uh, they were working out of the 
uh, endurance pits. They were working in the endurance pits, but they actually raced out of the top pits, which made things a little bit uh, difficult. Uh, but in fairness, I thought they coped very, very well indeed. Uh, at Speculatement, if you'd like to get in touch with us, lots of people talking about Chris Rea's music and his driving. Uh, and can't beat a bit of Chris Rea, Sarah Rigby, Road to Hell, both parts, Blue Cafe, decent racer as well. Uh, also, the Auberge video getting a few mentions as well. Might not be in the Patrick Dempsey class, but he's good. Uh, does have excellent tasting cars. I, says I think Dave. Auberge is probably my favourite of his uh, songs. Well, Kevin Payne says, I often listen to the Auberge album in its original sequence as it takes me back to when it was vinyl or cassette. Maybe I even have it on 8-track. 8-track! Fantastic! Stephen is listing on Hythe on the southeast coast of the UK. Hot and humid. Uh, good to know that you're tuned in tonight. We'll share be flying to go to Le Mans as part of the RSL broadcast team. We don't know if any of us are going to Le Mans uh, as the broadcast team, Stephen, but we will be broadcasting all of the event, as we mentioned earlier on. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. If you would like to get in touch with us, it's at Specutainment. It's just after nine o'clock. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? No, not a chance. The VO booth is not getting any of my dessert. It's just turned up. It's a homemade pavlova with mixed berries uh, and uh, chocolate grated over the top. Absolutely fantastic. In the second half of tonight's programme, uh, we will be talking to Nick Damon. Uh, he has uh, had a look at the weekend 70th anniversary Grand Prix. He'll be looking ahead to Barcelona and Catalonia as well. So Nick's team-by-team guide plus a preview. There's some two-wheeled news as well as your tweets on AdSpecUtainment. But coming up next, recorded on Saturday before the Le Mans behind closed-door news, it's our big interview from the Spa Paddock. The man at the head of United Autosport, Richard Dean, talks to me next on Midweek Motorsports. On RS1. It's never a bad day when I'm invited to United Autosport, particularly if I've got a, a chance to speak to Richard Dean. And we're inside the spiffy new hospitality unit in the middle of the spa paddock. It's the ELMS and Michelin Le Mans Cup weekend. And I should start, Richard, by saying thank you very much for having us here. It must have been difficult being out of racing for so long. How have you kept things together and, and how have you kept the, not the, the business side necessarily, just how have you, you, you kept the team spirit going through that time? Um, probably like everybody else, everybody moved to video calls, didn't they? And um, you know, rightly or wrongly we never actually closed the factory we, uh, you know, we moved into a new factory, which I'd love for you to come and see and uh, it's, a, it's a, a factory that gave us everything under one roof but it's it's a big enough factory where we had no more than sort of eight ten people in at any one time it's 66,000 square foot so even with my maths they had you know some on on days they had 10,000 square foot each that's socially distance I would say that's uh, that's what we aimed for so (laughs) so we didn't close but you're right we didn't go racing which is unusual for for all of us you know we've been racing 52 weeks of the year for a number of years now but we you know we were in Austin Texas in February Mm -hmm. um, and you know all that kit came back and we had plenty of work 
to do and we didn't have a full complement of workforce there but the guys who weren't there we were doing training courses on data and telemetry stuff so you know all the things that you wanted to do and you want to do you never get time to do we got through all of that and um, uh, you know Dave Greenwood our new technical director uh, you know hosted uh, a lot of training courses with all our junior data guys and all our uh, race engineers and we all got together and came up with formats and kept busy that's interesting that you used the virtual world for training, etc. Because, of course, the drivers can go off and race virtually. I mean, we got involved in a number of pro racing series. It's not as easy as that for a, a number one mechanic or a suspension guy or whatever be, because, you know, you have to be doing stuff with spanners and, all right, there's computers involved in it, but it's not like the same as, as being at a track, is it? No, it's not. But, you know, all these guys spend an awful lot of time in front of a computer and all the software and telemetry data and everything that's available to us it's a bit like probably you and I we, we, when we use our phone we're using probably 30% of, it, what, of what it actually does and that much? <laughs> yeah okay I was being kind <laughs> but uh, you know the data guys as well there's so many levels and layers and layers that we, you don't get a chance to, to get involved in and, and uh, you know they got busy with that and um, just made sure that, that we were ready when we were allowed to come out and play and that has happened, and uh, Ricard was the first round of the European Le Mans series. We're here at Spa this weekend. Should have been going to Barcelona. That's not happening, but there's still a race happening. Now, inconvenient, probably, I'll let you tell me, but important that LMEM, the European Le Mans series, continues to try and get races out there so that the business of racing can carry on, not just the sport of racing. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're very lucky that we're still racing and we're really lucky we've lost one round of the ELMS this year we've gone down to five rounds and Le Mans hopefully will happen and hopefully the remaining ELMS rounds will happen certainly in this in this period we're going through there's nothing we can take for granted so but we're here we're racing as you say you know we've done Paul Ricard we've done Spa we've got a mild inconvenience of not being able to go to Barcelona but we go back to Paul Ricard I can't believe there's a single person in this paddock that thinks that that is not worth uh, the inconvenience by keeping the race and we're certainly here in Europe very very lucky that things seem to be under control to a level that perhaps in other parts of the world are not um, and our friends Walkinshaws down in, a, in, in Australia they're running the supercar program are going through all sorts of trauma to try to keep racing and, and in America with Andretti's and the IndyCar program and everything else is moving constantly we've We've had a fairly stable and static uh, calendar since the uh, ELMS promoters uh, announced that in May or June. Mm. Big changes for you guys. New factory unit you mentioned. You've changed the prototype uh, suppliers that you are racing with. Talk us through some of those decisions and and how that's affected how you go racing and, and the business of racing from United's point of view. Yeah, you know, we're not quite a year yet with the Orica. Um, our first ever race with the, with the new Orica LMP2 car was actually here in Spa, but that was September, so we're not mm. quite uh, a year on. Um, you know, we had a fantastic relationship with Ligia, and we still do. They've produced a incredibly successful, already very incredibly successful, a new 2020 LMP3 car, Leisure have done an incredible job, but you know the weight of pressure from our partners, our drivers to move uh, to Orica and P2. 
um, has, has probably shown that it was the right thing. I think Felipe's pole today is our fourth consecutive pole position. Um, we, we've won and we won uh, the last two rounds of the World Endurance Championship. We're leading the World Endurance Championship, so we can't complain about that that shift. Uh, there's nothing that you can hide in the fact that the performance has stepped up. I mean, is there a certain inevitability, Richard, in a formula that is so competitive and in a field of, of teams that are so professional that ultimately, whether there's four LMP2 suppliers or five LMP3 suppliers or whatever it is, that ultimately somebody will build just a slightly better mousetrap and that really is all that you need to have a little bit of an ad- advantage nowadays because that's how competitive it is. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget, we raced with the Ligier in LMP2 for two seasons, 2017-2018. We won two races in 17 in ELMS out of six. We won two, two races um, in 2018, two out of six, you know, a third of the, of the races in ELMS. We won with the, LMP, with the uh, Ligier um, JSP217, and we finished on the podium with... Uh, Montoya, Hugo de Saddle and Will Owen uh, in Elysia mm-hmm. so it's not a bad car and it can perform at the front and it can win races but you can't get away from the fact that you, you're exactly right, you don't need much of mm. a margin, you don't need much of an improvement for a, a, a weight shift in the paddock we're all looking for margins we're all looking for minute differences and detail and, and well, it's not bad cars that's the thing it's not it's we're not saying it's a bad car Delara are not a bad company are they no it's hugely successful good point Le- Ligier are a fantastic company mm. which just shows what an incredible job Oracle have done with this mm. car mm-hmm. um, you mentioned the, the WAC there obviously quite difficult for the WAC in the current circumstances being a more international championship I think as Gerard Nouveau and his team took that on board very, very early and again have tried to give a calendar to you guys to get a championship that is worthy of the name. And I think, I think they've come up with one, don't you? Yeah, you know, the, 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 whatever you think of, uh, you know, the, the, the promoters, the ACO, ELMS, whatever, and, and it's easy to, to, to criticise and bash when you feel it doesn't go for you. <laughs> They've navigated their way through this incredibly well. We're here, we're racing. You know, it feels safe in the paddock. It feels right. It feels acceptable. Um, and we've got some great racing on, irrespective of the fact that there are no crowds here. And, um, you know, we, we all hope and, and, and pray that, the, that Le Mans, the, the jewel in the crown for everybody, can, can happen. Unfortunately, we, we don't know yet about crowds, and, and it's probably unlikely we're going to have a capacity crowd like we've done in the past. Would that matter? Undoubtedly, a, a race like Le Mans without a crowd wouldn't be quite the same, but the achievement would still be the same, Richard. But if you won it, wouldn't it? Well, it's certainly just as tough here. We're, we're here in Spa and we're in Paul Ricard. The competition is just as tough. It's a, it's a credible series to, to, to achieve something in. And Le Mans, it, it will be exactly the, the same. You know, the crowds at Le Mans, though, is, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying from the TV. I don't think it'll necessarily spoil the spectacle. Mm-hmm with no crowds but as a participant and, and people that work in the paddock like yourself and me you know the whole uh, uh, driver's parade the scrutineering the atmosphere around it and the history around it is nothing w- without the crowd so it'll be disappointing all that but that's really about the build-up because when we're doing our job you're doing your job and you're 
cooped up in your little <laughs> shed there watching the race and trying to stay awake um, you're not watching the crowd are you no, and, and so we're, we're now in a garage we're watching the monitors we're on the radios we're, we're looking at telemetry and we're not really watching the crowds so it won't affect that and you, you're right it'll be just as just as credible something that you mentioned that I'd like to pick up on is, is the procedures that are going on here uh, in this paddock uh, that I'm sure will be replicated because it's the same uh, organising group for WBC and, and ultimately Le Mans as well it sounds like a little thing, but you said comfortable. You said feeling comfortable and feeling secure. And given that you are attracting people who come and pay for their motor racing, is that important? The, the gentleman side of racing, so Mitchell and Mon Cup, and, and there's a you know it's a, a mandated bronze driver in, in LMP3. So you know by nature that's usually a gentleman driver who is coming here not because it's his job. He's coming here because he. He's enjoying his racing, he wants to be competitive, and his whole weekend's got to be more fun than, than not. And, um, you know, I think they've done a, a really good job to... to there's nothing, um, you know, there's nobody... It's not blasé here. They've, they've, they've got what, we, you know, people are calling the COVID police wandering around, but they're actually there reminding you to... Because it's easy when you're doing your job to get stuck into something and forget yep. the, to put your mask on or whatever and I think you know it's a sensible approach that has made uh, it actually an enjoyable weekend and you know people have been locked away for so long when you come here you never know what you're going to get and everybody's been pleasantly surprised with what we've got great great all right let's let's go away from the here and now a little bit and and look forward with all the usual caveats of, yeah, there's a bit of an asterisk on everything at the moment. A new factory, a new big factory. Um, the expansion of United Autosports in the last few years has been impressive. The way that you've taken the professionalism uh, and the emotion and enthusiasm as well of the team in of all different forms of the sport. Does the bigger premises make life easier for you? Or does it suggest, if I'm putting two and two together and possibly making six or seven and not just four, that there's other things that you guys still want to do and other areas of motorsport you want to move into as United, based in Europe? Yeah, both of those things. Our life uh, has made been made an awful lot easier with the, the new building. We've, we've laid it out. It's been a, an empty box when we, when we started with it. We spent 12 months working on it before we moved in. We kept our other units going. It, we managed to... We obviously... I think the measure of how right we got it was we, we went actually last year to, to Spa in September from the old premises. Um, and, and on a Monday after the race, the trucks came back, unloaded at the new premises, huh. and we were straight into work on Monday. And, and wow. it was a fairly seamless uh, run through. And, you know, from... The, I mean, we have, like, eight transporters here this weekend and when you're trying to unload eight transporters through one loading door in a in a in a yard that only holds two then you know it can take a few days to do that that's that's articulated tetris isn't it <laughs> it's, it's exactly that but now we've got uh multiple loading doors we can uh keep multiple trucks inside and outside nice. so we can load inside and outside and everything will be done what took us three days to unload eight trucks after an ELMS weekend it takes us half a day now so we're so much more efficient just on that side of it alone and we brought so much more in in-house from a simulator room to a carbon 
uh, facility to our sub-assembly side to everything that we've wanted we've been able to to do so I think it's making us more efficient which was your first point and then it's it will allow us to look at other programs um, and, and take on the right programs and you know you call that expansion but really it's about making ourselves a uh, viable viable proposition and not and spreading the, the risk so that if one championship uh, something happens a decision's made or uh, you know we're not successful in a, a championship it's not the be all and an end all it's not all our revenue we can um, we can uh, we can spread our spread our risk I take it there was no thought of moving out of uh, out of God's country at Yorkshire by the way well, no, not and especially since Leeds are now in the Premiership. I need to go to those home games still, so I need to be close by. But no, I congratulations think. on that from a from a Sunderland supporter. You probably didn't expect to hear that as well. No, but I knew I'd get it in into this uh, in <laughs> this discussion. I knew you would. I knew you would. What other bits of motorsport are you looking at it, within sports car racing? You do an awful lot, but prototype racing, um, new regs coming at the top end of ACO sports car racing with LMDH with hypercar thoughts about where that, that part of the sport is going and uh, whether you guys would want to be involved at the very sharp end of the field say with LMDH or hypercar at Le Mans well we're, you know we're still an ambitious team and, and everybody in the team is ambitious from the junior mechanics that arrive with us and go to Michelin Mon Cup and work their way through to being a number one mechanic there and move progress into the LMP3 team in ELMS and into P2. Uh, but we find ourselves in a category in P2 uh, with nothing really above us. Mm. There is nothing to uh, aspire to. Uh, you know, the, the current LMP1 situation is, is not something, it's something that makes me feel a little bit nervous if we were a bit gung-ho going into that. Yeah. And, and we've been waiting for something like LMDH, and I think the announcement uh, made perfect sense, and the alignment with IMSA made perfect sense, and I think it's what most people were looking for. Um, obviously, the world turned upside down uh, in the last six months, and, and a lot of that's been put on hold. But so. in some ways, does that make that even more important, that we bring major, in this case, endurance series together and have that amortisation, that shared risk that you were talking about in, in some respects between ACO racing in Europe and, and globally and IMSA racing in North America? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you could say that this big break in racing has given everybody some opportunity to look at what they're doing and what they want to be doing and, and, and how they're going to survive, probably more importantly, and that's from the promoters to the teams and even the manufacturers about where they want to be involved. It's a big reset button for everybody. Um, I still think LMDH is, you know, is a good concept, great concept, um, but probably been been pushed back enough to, that um, we're all sort of treading water a little bit here. But we found ourselves treading water in a series here in the European Le Mans series in LMP2. It's still hugely strong. It's it's. I'm I'm really surprised, pleasantly surprised that we've got so many cars on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and such depth of competition, such great great teams and, and, and great drivers. So, But all the teams like us uh, that are sat here at LMP2 level are wanting to go a step ahead. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all eagerly awaiting an opportunity that might arise in, in, LM, in LMDH. 
You and I have been around enough to remember proper privateer racing at the sharp end of, of Le Mans grids and effectively World Championship endurance grids, whatever it was called back in the day. We kind of lost that for a while with the big manufacturers, the big factories and the huge budgets that went along with that. And in some ways, the complexities of the cars. Does LMDH, whatever you want to call it, or something similar to that, does that give the opportunity for a new rise in privateer racing to be able to go like you could do, you know, if you had a 917 Porsche in the 1970s, you had a chance of winning. You know, if you, again, another Porsche, if you had a 956, you had a chance of racing. Is that the sort of thing that, that you see potentially happening? Well, we hope it's going to happen, don't we? It's, you know, we all want to recreate those, uh, those days where privateer teams could go and compete. You cannot go and compete against Toyota. United Autosports cannot take Toyota on. There's nothing more clear than that. And um, You're gung-ho, but you're not that gung-ho. And you're ambitious, but you're not stupid. Yeah, well, I've been stupid, but I've learned. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, I think if we can, um, if we can navigate our way through the, the, the regulations and the opportunity and the manufacturers coming in that create an opportunity that a privateer team like us um, can get hold of equal equipment um, to go and compete at the front and, uh, and really it's about the job that we do mm-hmm. and how good a job we do is yes. will determine the outcome yep. then fantastic Pretty we cool. can all hope JT Racing yeah, well, you know, we've, we've been there before. I think, you know, when, when we started, Zach and I started United 10 years ago. That's where we started. Um, and, uh, you know, we achieved a, a bit in, in British GT and we did here at Spa. We were on the podium in Spa 24 hours, but we feel that we'd like to, to go back in there. Um, we'd like to go back in there in GT4 and GT3. I see the European GT4 Championship as a great little series. Um and um, we're making plans to do that. And uh, again, maybe those plans get pushed back a little bit. But we, we were we were very close to launching all of that for 21. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that that's co- completely off the cards, but probably off the cards for a GT3 program. But I would say a GT4 program is still mm-hmm. seriously uh, under consideration. Anything else that you guys haven't done that you'd like to do? Any? Anything off the wall? What, what, is, what is something that captures your or Zach's imagination? <laughs> well, you've heard we're doing Extreme E with Andretti's. That's off the wall. It yeah. doesn't get any more off the wall than that. But the more you look at that concept and, uh, and what Alejandro and the Formula E guys have put together, the more uh, I love it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're invested in that now alongside our partners Andretti, and that launches next year. Mm. So... Uh, if you want an off-the-wall off the project, that's that one. Mm-hmm. In terms of what does Zach and I want, Zach's big IndyCar guy, isn't he? Mm. You know, is uh, what he wants. I mean, he is ambitious, um, and he can get brave. Um, so, who knows? So, ten years in, United Autosports. When you Zach got together and started discussing that, if you look back then if yourself then 10 years ago looked at what you guys have achieved and sitting here now in this paddock in, in Spa do you think do you think you and Zach then 10 years ago would be happy with where you are and, and where do you think you might be in another five well we're happy where we are um, we laugh about it constantly 
because the intention was, you know, Zach was moving over from Indianapolis. He was moving over here uh, to the UK, and uh, he, he fancied doing a little bit of racing. And I was leaving my friend Lawrence at Janetta to go back into running a team, and we said, let's just get an Audi GT3 car and run one car. And that was it. So we laugh about the fact that here we are. So, so that was it. There wasn't the big five, ten-year plan at that point. It was, let's go motor racing with a GT3 Audi. And have a bit of fun. That was it. See what you started? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we do laugh that, you know, how, how, how on earth did we get here? Is it still fun? That's the question. Yeah, it's fun when you're having a day like today, you know. If it's, been a, it's been a successful day today. Um, you know, hugely proud of, of all the guys that we've put together. Um, you know, a lot of the guys have been with me for such a long time, hence why we probably will never move out of out of Yorkshire. I mean, we have our little semi foot in a basin with Andretti's and and, and Walkinshaws in Melbourne, but you know, a lot of the guys have been t- together a long time here, and we've added some quality people, um, real quality people in all areas to be able mm. to achieve what we're we're getting through the workload. Never mind the success. Um, and that's fun, you know, that, that's fun watching it come together. Five years down the line? Another five years, maybe another ten years? What are you right? Do you know, honestly, it sounds probably a bit cheesy, but if we can maintain this level of, of success and, and keep enjoying it, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy. Zach could say that's not ambitious, and definitely he's going to pull me to one side and tap me on the shoulder and, and say, how about this? He's going to do that any time now. I'm, I feel it coming. <laughs> <laughs> And on a, on a personal level, uh, you still get behind the wheel of a car now and then, and that is still fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it's fun, but we're so busy now. We've got so many weekends where we're, we're, we're racing with our, our, our customers and our partners that um, there's no chance to put together a proper programme or you know, dedicate or devote any serious time to it. But I'm really lucky because the other side of the business that we've got is the restoration business. Um, and it's growing. We've got a huge collection of cars there. And usually, when we've done a restoration, a complete restoration on a car, we, um, you know, we look to do a shakedown on a car, or, you know, a rollout test on a car, and uh, I get to jump in. And, and Your hand goes up first, and because you're the boss, nobody dare put their hand up any quicker. Is that what you see? Well, I'd say that, but sometimes as well, I'm probably the only guy that fits in some of the old '70s F1 cars and things, you know. Um, you might get me in, but you'd never get me out again. The restoration would be knackered if you had, had to get a still sort to get us out. Yeah, we'd never get you out. We'd probably never see you again. You just set off up the road in one. Um, you know me. But yeah, we, you know, we've, we've. Uh, I, I still enjoy driving, but the 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 passion for, to be competitive has shifted to winning races and winning championships uh, as a team and achieving it at that level. And it's a good substitute for it. And I'm probably getting just as big a kick out of that. Richard, always a pleasure. Thanks very much, mate. Continued success. Race well. Be lucky. Stay safe. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you. Richard Dean talking to me on Saturday uh, evening in the paddock at Spa. That was before, of course, we'd heard about the uh, Port Ferme, the behind-closed doors at Le Mans. But interesting that he did mention that and how the the challenge uh, and the achievement wouldn't be changed, whether there were spectators there or not. Thanks very much to Martin Pass and to Charlotte at the team for setting that up for us. We've got a huge discussion about guitar playing. Uh, started with Chris Rearan on the beach uh, right. and uh, comparing Chris's 
Chris Rea's virtual source of performance, uh, effortless, of course, with Mark Knopfler and Prince uh, as well. Interesting. Uh, Prince, who uh, played Schechter uh, guitars. Uh, and I have got, I'm looking over to my left hand side where there's a very nice Schechter guitar. Thanks very much to Mark from Schechter Guitars for that. Um, at Specutainment, uh, Nick H heard us talking about Pavlova, uh, and uh, and, and uh, that's kind of links to Formula One. He said, "I did hear a Jackie Stewart reference last weekend's Mercedes Pirelli tyres in the same breath, being as frail as a homemade Pavlova." Um, if it's if you get it gooey, which is how he likes it and I like it, I think they probably would have lasted longer than um, the Pirellis on the Mercs last weekend. Sarah Rigby. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Sarah and Martin up in crew. I have to say, I was very impressed with Augusta Farfus's debut race with Aston Martin. Simply settled with the team uh, as well with the Vantage. Uh, they'll be back at the weekend, uh, of course. We'll talk about WEC uh, in a little while. A couple of people talking about the nasty incident in the pit lane. Mechanic knocked over in the G-Drive pit, although it was the 37 car, I think, that knocked him over but then rather unceremoniously moved, which was very worrying indeed. Penalties applied in terms of financial penalties to G-Drive, uh, uh, and I think a stern talking to at the very uh, least there. Hello to uh, Monster Jeff, who's tuned in tonight as well. We've also been talking about eight-track players and cassette players. Uh, Austin Maxey that had one in as well with, uh, uh, with the old eight-track you have to be quite old to remember uh, that as as well. Um, Give me an idea for feature. Have you? Mm. Right, OK. Uh, somebody mentioned... Oh, there we are. Dave Alcock says, if United Autosport ever want to bring out a mobile game that's for your phone that's United branded, I think articulated lorry Tetris could be a big hit in mobile gaming after we were talking about the new uh, the new place up in... Uh, or just outside of Garforth in uh, in Yorkshire, uh, and I will be taking up Deanie's uh, opportunity or um, invitation to go up there uh, as well uh, at Specutainment. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, two weekends, two Silverstone Grand Prix, and no Dick, no Nick Damon to talk about them tonight live. However. No. However, he has pre-recorded his uh, team-by-team team for that 70th anniversary Grand Prix. We'll be listening to that uh, in a little while. First of all, uh, it's all over at uh, Meadowbrook Park. Right. Uh, and the BC champions have beaten the Vancouver Vibes. 154 for three uh, was their score, chasing 153 Canadian for eight. It's the semi first of the semi-finals of the BC Cricket Championship, which is a right. 2020 format tournament. T20. Okay. Right. Great. Right. I'll 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 be sure to uh, get that down. Uh, and now, I let's did move say on to two Dick wheels. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Dick Neyman coming up. Yes. Uh, Nick Damon coming up. Uh, but first, two wheels. Yes. And I want to talk about. Not World Super Bikes necessarily, but World Super Sport. All uh, records were broken at the weekend. 
There have been five World Supersport races in the 2020 season so far. One at Phillip Island, two at Jerez and two at Portimao. Mm-hmm. How many winners have there been, Tim? There's just been the one winner for the five <laughs> races. Uh, Andrea Locatelli has won all five. Uh, he's yep. also got all five fastest laps and all the pole positions. Which is a new record. Nobody has won five on the bounce before. First five races of the season. And six months um, ago, he'd never raced in World Supersport. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's been a long time that they were uh, off uh, racing as everybody else. But, I mean, it's it's like there, there wasn't a break for Locatelli. He, he just started exactly where he left off. Um Jules Kalazel on the Yamaha and uh, Corentin Perilari on the, uh, uh, both on the GMT 94 Yamahas and Isaac Vinales in the Calio Racing um, were all there or thereabouts in, in the two races. And in fact, all of those three I've mentioned actually were ahead of Locatelli at one stage or another. Um, uh, and he passed them. I mean, he, he's, he was, he's just, he's on fire at the moment. Motorland Arrogant, the next one. Another two races back-to-back uh, in a, a few weeks' time. Uh, he could break more records of that. If he wins one race, he'll join Federico Caracasulo and Paolo Cazzoli as the Italian riders with the most victories in world supersports history with six wins. And obviously, if he gets one more, he'll be ahead of of both of his country men. Uh, Super Sports looking great. Super Bike's looking good. Uh, time for a little triple, bit of Super Bike. Triple header. Uh, so we had a double header with one winner uh, in Super Sport at Portimao. We had a triple header with one winner in the World Super Bikes. And that one winner was Johnny Ray. Making him the fourth different championship leader of the year. Uh, but most importantly... Uh, we had, uh, uh, I mean, it was, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love Portimao. I really do. I, I think the circuit, and they used the short, slightly shorter uh, circuit. Uh, at turn five, they don't go all the way down the bottom of the hill. Um, so, uh, Quattararo still uh, leads. Oh, sorry, that's MotoGP. I'm in the... Excuse me, I'm in the wrong one. I knew that was an issue. John, Johnny Palmer. Uh, Johnny Palmer? Johnny Ray. No, um, Johnny Palmer, yes. Johnny Palmer, even better. Yeah. Um, jo- Johnny Ray uh, now leads um, the championship. Uh, yes, he does. Um, having taken the triple the weekend in race one, he was ahead of top rack Raz Gavliolu and same in the uh, Super Pole race and Scott Redding. Uh, came second. Uh, Vandermark, a couple of podiums. Loris Baz got a podium as well. So it's 136 to 132. Kawasaki's Jonathan Ray over Ducati Scott Redding. Then Top Rack on 103. Then Alex Laws, Michael Vandermark, Chaz Davies on the second of the Ducatis. Alvaro Batista, Loris Baz. But they're already down in the 50s. So, you know, getting on for 80 points down. Johnny Ray really back in form at the weekend. He looked much more like his old self on the Kawasaki. Uh, this season, uh, it, it looks to me as though it is going to be a very interesting one where 
the gap between the Kawasaki and Ray is going to be on a race by race, circuit by circuit basis, and there will be other tracks uh, that other riders can get up to him on. I think. Um, I think it'll be very, very interesting to see how that works out for the rest of the season, and I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for the next one. And what was the uh, big landmark for Kawasaki? Oh, was it their was it their five hundredth race? It was their one hundred and fiftieth victory. Victory, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, you mentioned good. Scott Redding there. He's the reigning British Superbike champion, which means that uh, the British Superbike Championship, which got underway at Donington Park at the weekend, is looking for a new champion. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, it looked very much like it could be someone on a Honda this year because uh, they were pretty untouchable in the first two races. Uh, Andrew Irwin uh, won them and his both. Brother. Glenn Irwin, his brother, <laughs> finished second in both. There's a third Irwin now. There's a Graham Irwin who... Uh, Is there? Yes. Right. Well, they obviously want to wrap up the whole podium at some stage. Uh, at some point. Graham, uh, maybe next year will be uh, when he starts running uh, close to the front. Um, the best the non-Honda th- or non-Irwin in the championship is Tommy Bridewell uh, yes. on the Oxford Products he Racing Ducati. He was the winner of third race, um, where Glenn and Andrew Irwin were the other two who stood on the podium. But Andrew Irwin uh, didn't get to keep... Uh, those points uh, he had at that point scored 90 out of a possible 95 points a mathematical maximum point you can get in a bsb weekend is 95 he had scored 90 uh but he's lost uh 40 of those um because he was disqualified from race three after an incident where he uh, clashed with josh brooks and josh brooks ended up uh, in the wall i saw that and I thought that was really harsh. I did there was as a cu- well. There was a couple of decisions, stewarding decisions, um, which were very similar in bikes over the weekend, where somebody went wide, a rider rides up the inside, hanging off one side or the other of the of his bike, and then the person who goes right wide tries to get back on the racing line, clips the guy on his inside and falls off. And I'm not sure how... The guy who was taking advantage of the mistake is the guy who's wrong there. Mm, I agree with that. Certainly in the Brooks case, I think that's a very harsh penalty. Six uh, penalty points um, uh, on his licence for Andrew Irwin, and that means that for the next round of the championship, he will start from the back of the grid. So so he's ten points ahead of his brother, ten, uh, ten points behind, behind his, his brother. brother. Uh, with Tommy Bridewell on 43, he's three ahead of Jason O'Halloran for the now, first of the Yamahas. got the uh, pole and was looking really Correct. good throughout um, practice and qualifying and then um, didn't do a huge amount in the races. He got to, uh, third place, but he couldn't, couldn't get anywhere higher than third place in any race. And have we got time for a bit of MotoGP then? Yes. Now it's very important. Obviously, MotoGP is another mark market. Oh, no, he wasn't there, was he? So uh, no. we need to have someone else with alliterative initials. Now, who could that possibly be? Uh, oh, the letter B, yes. Brad Binder. 33. The 33 looks like two Bs. That's Brad Binder, who took the KTM victory for the first time. Five seconds ahead of Franco Morbidelli on the Petronas Yamaha. 
and making up the podium was Johan Zarco. Now, what was interesting, first of all, before we even got the race started, was that the front row were all non-full factory team bikes. Now, satellite teams, we call them. Private air teams, you might call them in other forms of racing. Now, that's not to say anymore that their bikes are necessarily any massively different from the works bikes, but it was extraordinary that the front row was locked out. And the other thing was, two Frenchmen, first and second, on a Moto GP or top-class Moto World Championship grid for the first time since, Tim? Ever. Oh, ever, probably, yes. Ever. Quite remarkable, with quite a raro and morbid. The, the, the French Renaissance um, is extraordinary in two-wheel bikes at the moment. Quite a raro, who is... He only finished seventh um, at the weekend at Bruno. Um, causing a bit of a stir with his shapeshifter bike, as it's called, or shapeshifter lever, which changes the rake of the bike as it's moving. He is so this very is like DAS in Formula One. Um yes, except it's working on the back, Tim. The, the idea Quadraro is one of the new breed of riders who relies much more on the rear brick um than than has been the case in the past. Which is why when they swapped the Michelins, he's he's not had so much of a problem because the rear Michelin now apparently is better than the front mission and where it was the opposite way around on the previous tyre su- supplier. Now, anybody who rides bikes normally will tell you that the back brake doesn't get used very much unless you're trickling through traffic. It, it so happens that I've always used the back brake on a bike quite a lot. Normally, you only use it to get the front wheel back on the ground when you're pulling a, a, a wheelie. But now, Quattararo has found a way to make his bike work, um, this Petronas Yamaha, and you'll see how it works and you can do it with either a foot brake or a handbrake or what's called a scooter brake um, and he's using all sorts of clever things to brake traction and almost Scandinavian flicker into the corners and also the team have given him this shapeshifter um, function on the bike which drops the back end of of the bike down because normally of course as soon as you go on the front brake it lifts the back wheel up you've got forward weight transfer and what he's doing is dropping the bike down before he brakes braking on the back first and then going on the front and then balancing the bike between them he's having to do it it's not the electronics so he's still having to be super clever on it my god i've got no clue how he's doing it at the at the speeds that he's doing it but apparently it's it's one of the things that he is Gaining an advantage over. It didn't help him at the weekend. Uh, he was be- behind uh, Miguel Oliveira. Rossi with another good result in uh, fifth pos- p- position. Uh, Rins. And then the, the three that I mentioned. Uh, and that means that the, in the world standings, however, Quateraro still leads 49 points, excuse me, 59 points to Maverick Vinales uh, on another Yamaha, the Spanish rider in second um the morbidelli on the yamaha making yamaha one two three is uh joint third with dovi who had another quiet weekend but picked up points brad binder with his win comes up to fifth place for ktm on 28 with johan zarko they make up the top six Uh, by the way i just um go back to ktm and say yes binder obviously this is his first 
MotoGP season after being in Moto2, he's supposed to be sitting there quietly learning from Paul Spagaro. And where does this leave Paul now? Well, that's a very good question. A very good question. He's been, you know, he hasn't fulfilled his potential. Uh, there's a lot of good riders out there who could potentially take his position. I mean, look at Zarko. Zarko's on a 19-spec Ducati. Um, most satellite bikes do have the 20-spec bikes, as I was mentioning, but thanks to Right Turn Lover reminding me, he has a 19-spec he can ride. Um, and KTM as, built this bike for Paul Spagaro. For Paul, It designed yes. around what he likes. And where is he and in he, the championship? And he's on the same... He's, he's 11th. He's one point ahead of Miguel Oliveira. Um, he'd, done all the, he'd done all the testing as well. That was the point of it. And here's Brad Binder jumped on the bike. Now, remember, I was slightly ridiculed when I said I think Brad Binder will do well and jumping up from um, Moto2. I think his riding style will suit the, G, the KTM. It won't be every track. Again, this is going to be one of those things this year, Tim. I don't think that that every track is going to be a Yamaha track or a Ducati track or a KTM uh, track. Uh, just a quick one, by the way. I think I mentioned United being at Garforth. They were at Garforth. I've been there. They've now moved to Wakefield. Thank you, Martin Pass, uh, for that. And thanks for setting up that uh, interview at the weekend. Uh, next of the MotoGP uh, is at the Red Bull ring. And they've got a double uh, weekend or double header uh, week on week with the My World Motorrad Grand Prix von Österreich and the BMW M Grand Prix von Stiria. Of course. Of course they have. Of course they have. Midweek Motorsport, quarter to ten. What have you got, Tim? Uh, we've been promising it all night. This is Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Hello and welcome to the team-by-team for the 70th anniversary taking place, of course, at Silverstone. Now, I'm not actually in the studio with John, so much like Kimi Räikkönen this season... I'll be phoning it in. Of course, the next thing you have to do is what order the teams are going to do. What is, the, what is the weirdest way Tim might do it? And I thought, no, I could never keep up with that. So I've just done it in reverse order of finishing. So basically, whoever your lowest person was, that's what I'll start with, which means I end up starting with Haas, with Kevin Magnussen stopped running because they'd run out of tyres or run out of desire to run tyres. Magnussen was basically claiming that um, the car wasn't mended properly from the accident with Albon the previous weekend, burning through the tyres, ran out of hards in very little time at all. Of course, tyres was the main topic of conversation for the entire race. And they actually retired the car for safety reasons because they couldn't be bothered to go out in the soft tyres anymore. And of course, it does mean they can get a new gearbox. His teammate, Roman Grosjean, qualified really, really well. Won the best qualifying of the season. Went unnoticed because it didn't really do anything. Uh, then trundled round and managed to beat both the Williams and one of the Alphas. So kind of towards the end of that back three teams who've very much been left behind by the others. Next up is Williams. Nicholas Latifi and George Russell had a, a mind-numbing battle on the first lap where they closed, they swapped places about three times. Then, of course, the unfortunate thing was they kind of saw the the hopeful progress of the last race about their improvement in race pace disappear in a raft of tyre issues. They both made three stops in. Nicholas Satifi was only seen once when he was nearly taken off the track by Kevin Magnussen, who did get a five-second penalty, I should have mentioned earlier. And George Russell wasn't seen at all, I don't think, in the coverage. So uh, they trundled round with the car, which wasn't very performing very well on the softer tyres. Alfa Romeo. Well, good news. Kimi Raikkonen beat Antonio Giovinazzi in the battle of things, which were just cars at the back, which no one really cared about. And, you know, 
realistically, the Alpha Alpha is looking particularly bad after last season when they were the gradual, gradual fallback from two seasons ago when, of course, they're being run as uh, Salba with, with Alpha Romeo with uh, Charles Leclerc. They're just drifting back, and at the moment they seem marooned. Um, possibly because of the, the Ferrari engine, possibly because they've kind of lost an idea of where they are going. Next up in the first, the teams were actually in the fight for something on a normal weekend, and it was Renault. 14th place for Daniel Ricciardo, and a much more um, positive th- uh, eighth place for Espat Ocon. Danny Rick looked pretty good until he had what he called a Seb spin, which is pretty much adding insult to injury, really, isn't it, to actually name a new cock-up procedure after a member of another racing team. But it was apparently he just was, he was side-by-side with Carlos Sainz going through the arrowhead part of the track and just lost it under power. He said he's now realised there's a huge loss of downforce when you've got another car blocking the side of the car. And rather than uh, just saying, oh, I made a mistake, he decided to... Uh, Almost pushed the blame on Sebastian Vettel, which uh, must have gone down particularly well. Esteban Ocon ran a very good race on a single stop strategy, which um, you know, basically means you're not even trying from lap one. You're just eking the tyres out and came in with points and managed to beat Danny Rick. Uh, so he'll be very happy with that performance. McLaren, 13th place for Carlos Sainz and 9th for Lando Norris. Again, Whilst they are obviously one of the not one of their better performances, they're one of the, the better teams in the midfield. Signs was compromised by having to add extra cooling to the car during qualifying. Didn't really get up to speed. Got stuck in traffic a lot of the time and really had a kind of an unpleasant race. Norris oscillated around that lower point scoring period. Never really, really if you think about it, you got the, the top seven or eight were kind of nailed in from day one. Apart from Charles Leclerc, will come to that later. So ninth place was okay. A couple couple of points, probably the best they could do in the uh, circumstance. Next up is Ferrari, and that's because in 12th place was Sebastian Vettel. But of course, we had in 4th place, we had Charles Leclerc. It's hard to say what's going on with Vettel. There has been a complete breakdown of communications. He's under the impression the car is not being prepared the same way as Charles Leclerc's car. Ferrari say it is. He's under the impression he's not getting the help he needs, and that Charles is. Uh, He uh, managed to spin rather unwisely in the first lap and then have a rotten race which Ferrari says was down to him spinning on the first lap he says it was down to the fact that they asked him to come into the pits too early mainly to get him out of the way of Charles Leclerc and that compromise his chance to run longer on the first stop now the the thing about that is whether or not they did ask him in early if they asked him early to get him out of the way of Charles Leclerc that just shows they had no trust he would have let Charles Leclerc through on a faster strategy so that is a complete breakdown in that relationship. Now, whether they can, they can rebuild it in Barcelona, or well, we are actually going to see him be replaced by somebody, I don't know, Nico Hulkenberg, is available for the rest of the season, uh, it's hard to tell. Of course, Ferrari have fired drivers mid-season many times before, but Vettel at the moment not enjoying it, and his already tarnished reputation is getting uh, less and less lustrous by the moment, I'm afraid. So... Uh, not looking good. It doesn't also help, of course, Sebastian Vettel when Charles Leclerc is massively outperforming the car. Picking up fourth place is, is way beyond what that machine should be doing and a one-stop strategy as well. So they managed to get the thing nice and nice and safe on its tyres. Charles ran around, found himself in a beautiful sweet spot behind the, the three front runners and ahead of Alex Albon, who was effectively on a recovery drive after poor qualifying. Did everything right, took the thing car home in fourth for what I'm sure was more than Ferrari could expect at the high-speed Silverton circuit, even though their advantage of last week was slightly negated because everyone was running a bit less downforce this weekend um, in a way to slightly help the tyres and because they saw it was a good way of, of actually going round if you weren't the fastest car of all. Next up after Ferrari are Alfa Tauri, who, who had 10th and 11th with Daniel Kvyat in 10th and Pierre Gasly in 11th. Good return for Kvyat after the big accident he had last week, which wasn't his fault. It was a delaminating tyre. Gasly had a 
really good qualifying and was going quite well but he was brought in very early to cover Alex Albon's early stop and that put him in traffic and kind of put him out of out of play for where he should have been Daniel had a more um, traditional two-stop, drove very solidly and picked up the final point. So Daniel actually beat Pierre, which I think would do his confidence a lot of good. Pierre all sit there thinking, oh, his strategy was compromised. But the Alfa Tori looks like a good car. You know, it's, it's certainly obviously is a, is, a, is a B-level Red Bull. I'm sure there's plenty of bits on there, perhaps even brake ducts. It's a very similar to the Red Bull. Let's better not mention that. Um, but yeah, Kvyat and Gasly doing well. Gasly, you know, still his after Saturday, his star is still rising again. Whether it can rise enough for another swap, uh, at the main team is questionable. Uh, next team up is Racing Point. Racing Point 6th and 7th, Lance Stroll 6th, Nico Hulkenberg 7th, though Hulkenberg comprehensively outperformed the son of the team owner, Lance Stroll, qualifying 3rd, which was a great performance. But once again, really, 6th and 7th isn't, I'm sure, what Racing Point would be looking for as a finishing. And this pink Mercedes so far has consistently under-delivered where it should actually get as far as points are concerned. You know, it's, it's good enough to be, you know, fighting for wins. I mean, there's always been Mitigating circumstances. One of the mitigating circumstances I think, is their driver hasn't been very good. Looking like Perez with backs, this is Hulkenberg's run. He finally got a Grand Prix, did pretty well, was ahead of Lance Stroll the entire way until he had to do a stop right at the end for a vibration, which he thought would be terminal. They put a set of tyres on right at the end, so he dropped round behind Stroll. Debatable, actually, really, whether that sixth and seventh could have been improved by that, because I think Alex Albon was on a tear at that point. So. They've probably got the most points they can. It looks good in, the re- in results that Lance is ahead of Nico, but yeah, you know, everyone was there realised that Nico is better than Lance. And is Nico better than Sergio Perez? Should they you know, be looking at Nico Hulkenberg as their new German replacement driver rather than Sebastian Vettel? I'm sure that'll, they'll be raising questions. And certainly Hulkenberg's done in his um, market value no harm, but there isn't really anywhere for him to go unless uh, Ferrari fire Vettel early. And next season's looking pretty full already, especially if we think that... Uh, Perez will be on the marketplace with his Mexican money to go to one of the perhaps available seats there are. Next up is Red Bull because of Alex Albon. Let's start with the success story, which is Max Verstappen, who was great, really, really well, good performance by Max. He was, he's in a situation at the moment, which is in many ways is probably massively frustrating, but in other ways it's actually quite pleasant for him because effectively he is racing for fun. No one expects him to, to win the world championship. Everyone expects him to do as well as he can each race. So each race he just effectively approaches it, say, I'm going to have a bit of fun, see what I can do the best of. Oh, this time I got a chance to race Mercedes. It's great. And maximised it perfectly, stayed with them, noticed there were tyre problems, saw the Red Bull was a bit stronger. They ran a clever strategy. They, they very much shortened the medium tyre run. And came out ahead. I think there's a few little slight tactical errors by Mercedes. But the basic fact is that the Red Bull was the faster car this week because, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got a million horsepower. It's how you put it on the ground that counts. And in every form of motor racing, be it two-wheel or four-wheel, or even one wheel if you're racing a unicycle, the most important part of any racing machine is the other four black things which are in contact with the ground. It's it's just about tyres. And if you get those to work better than someone else, it doesn't matter what other deficits you have, you will still be the fastest car around the lap. And Max Stafford was the fastest car around the lap. And more importantly, he was there to capitalise. And that's what a you know a great driver is. They're there to capitalise when they get a chance. Alex Albon is a quandary, and I'm sure it's, it's, it's worrying Red Bull on a daily basis. The fact is, Alex Albon finished fifth and Alex Albon should have finished second or at worst, fourth, depending on whether you think he's good enough to get to, to just maximise the car quite the level that um, that Max did. The fact was, he qualified badly again, was stuck in the midfield, lost loads of time. And then, you know, he, he pulled off some great overtaking manoeuvres, but he's had the race-winning car. 
that was the best car in the field, as evidenced by his teammate. So going past people who are in ninth, tenth, and eleventh, doesn't matter where you do it, is not you know massively impressive. Yes, hooray for his bravery, but not really for anything else. And so you know, much as I like Alex, and you know, it's and, and a fifth on paper, you know, being beaten by two Mercedes and a Ferrari isn't the end of the world. It's just not good enough. It's not good enough. We, you know, that's this is the week where, where Red Bull could have had a one-two or a one-three because yeah, the, the, but he wasn't there to capitalise again, and he he is not causing any issues to Mercedes. They aren't worried about what Albon's doing because he starts so far back. So yeah, Albon, good result, but still poor weekend. Max, great stuff. So finally, come to Mercedes, mainly for the fact because they were second and third. So this has been the ultimate meltdown. Mercedes have finished. It's all over. They're dead. It's no. Oh, they were second and third. Perfect storm, really, for Mercedes. Mercedes have always been hard on their tyres because they have so much downforce and so much power. I think they may have suffered a bit of arrogance. I think a number of the other teams may have done a little bit more to mitigate the softer tyres by adjusting their setups a little bit more than Mercedes did. Mercedes had that all this time in hand and, and, and they knew where they were and they probably were, you know, I think they made a, a balance change to try and just take a little bit off the front left, which had blown up, of course. And in doing that, they put more effort onto the rear left, hence the reason that blitz is so badly. But then there was a perfect storm. The ridiculous high tyre pressure was 27 PSI at the front, 22 at the rear. So the tyres were like balloons. And at that point, you know, if you're the car that's putting the most energy through the tyres because you've got the most power and the most downforce, there is a possibility that the tyres might go, nah, not so sure. And that's what happened. And they got it wrong and they got it wrong spectacularly. And that's what we like to see occasionally. But at the end of the day, they still came second and third. And, you know, and Lewis Hamilton... Extend, right, his actual overall championship lead stayed at 30 points, but it's now 30 points to Max Verstappen. But he actually extended his lead over Valtteri Bottas. So effectively, it was a great race for Lewis. Lewis, you know, A, only lost um, a few points to Max. He got fastest lap, just six points. This massive comeback for Max Verstappen is a grand total of six points. But most importantly, Lewis pulled out another four points to the person who will be competing with him for the rest of the season. Because, yeah, we might get another couple of hot races, but a lot of the season now is happening in Europe much later in the season. So, yeah, not a great race for Mercedes, but way better than their previous disaster. Remember, remember, Mercedes had a disaster race every now and again, and people say that last year they had a disaster in Germany. Oh, they're finished. A couple of years ago, they, you know, they crashed in Spain a couple of years ago. They had a terrible race in Singapore back in the Rosberg. Oh, it's finished. The Dominators have finished. And the next race was 1-2. Yeah, take that with a pinch of salt. But overall, a much more interesting race, thanks to Red Bull getting their act together. And Lewis and Valtteri uh, not getting that together. Well, Mercedes not getting a uh, great result for Lewis. Great result for Max. Great result for Charles Leclerc. A uh, great weekend for Nico Hulkenberg. Good one for Esteban Ocon. And apart from that, pretty much business as usual. Well done, Roman Grosjean, who gets such much criticism after the previous week. And that was the 70th Anniversary Grand Prix. Tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on RS1. It's Toro Radio Show. It's Ben and Louis uh, this week. And are we talking about all the week's uh, stories in virtual racing, including more news on the coming BTC game in 2022. Ride 4's new teaser trailer, the latest F1 2020 mm. updates, race room track updates, and the recent Project Cars DLC announcement. And this yeah, Saturday, we've got some real-life virtual racing, haven't we, John? Yes, we have, but it's moved to a new time. It it's has. It's pushed back a few hours. We've it's got an the evening next race. It is. We've got the next three-hour instalment of the digital Nürburgring Lengstrecken series, DNLS. Uh, I'll be bringing you the commentary uh, for that. Uh, and is that on RS3? Three. RS3, and right. it starts at 5.30 UK time. Also this weekend, we've got uh, the latest round of the FIA World Endurance Championship, the last race before Le Mans. 
It's at Spa in Belgium, and Johnny and Bruce will be uh, talking about that. Johnny uh, will do qualifying on Friday, Johnny yes. and Bruce on Saturday. Qualifying at 4.50 UK. Uh, and then the race, I think our countdown to green starts at midday. If you say so. I did have that written down somewhere, but I can't think where it is. Yeah, midday for the countdown to green on Saturday. Uh, and you yes, because it's a half-hour start, isn't it? Yeah, it starts at half-past, yeah. Uh, you have some WEC news. Uh, well, you know, just there was a few WEC teams out, weren't there, at uh, at Spa last weekend. Mm, I thought it was interesting. In. Aston Martin, we've talked about. Uh, didn't talk about Jota. Andy Davidson uh, was there. Uh, and with one of his teammates for the weekend, Roberto Gonzalez. Uh, but he'll be joined at the weekend, and we mentioned him at the start of the show, we mentioned him at the end of the show as well, Antonio Felix da Costa. Uh, he will be uh, racing with them at the weekend. And they had an interesting race at the weekend. Probably didn't get their just desserts. Uh, Ant was very quick, pass on the grass. But they did get the opportunity to use the new Goodyear... Uh, tyre that they will be using the medium B-spec tyre which will be debuting in uh, uh, in the WEC this weekend um, obviously it was very hot so they didn't uh, get to use that all the time they had to use the harder tyre as well um, it's not going to be as hot this weekend it shouldn't be so much of an issue uh, with the tyres uh, but so Bruce and Johnny will t- talk you through well it. and by the way while we're talking tyres while we're talking tyres tyres um don't talk about f1 tires okay or you'll ruin something uh so that's wc which is friday for qualifying saturday for the race and the dnls uh which is a race on saturday evening it's a bit of an overlap but you can uh uh, choose to listen to the whole of the uh, wec and then uh join the dnls in progress or miss the end of the wc and listen to dnls from the start i bet i bet that if if I asked you very nicely, mm-hmm. you could probably run straight off the back of the FIAWEC with slightly tape-delayed coverage from the other one. Might be able to do that, yes. Yeah, do you like that? I'll have, I'll have a think about how I would do that if I were to do that. Yeah. Um, I can... Do you want some tweets? Not quite yet, well, we because okay. uh, we have one more bit of Nick Damon, which is his well. preview to the next round of the FIA Formula One World Championship, which takes place this weekend in Barcelona. I was asked to do a brief preview of the Spanish Grand Prix being held at the Circuit de la Catalunya, round six this year's World Championship, and here it is. The brief preview is... Tyres. Uh, <laughs> all you're going to hear about up until the build-up of the race, is how Mercedes are likely to suffer again because it's hot weather and Red Bull have got a massive chance of winning and, 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 and much as I would love to leap onto that concept, there are many mitigating circumstances we can say that isn't going to happen. Firstly, and let's be absolutely honest about this, they are right, the temperatures will be high. The temperatures are predicted to be 29 and 30 degrees over the race weekend. Not super hot for... Um, Barcelona, but certainly we'll have to keep the track nice and toasty. So, oh no, Mercedes in trouble! But, uh, firstly, they're on the three hardest compounds, which is the same as they were on two weeks ago, where Mercedes romped to the British Grand Prix. Secondly, the PSI is way down, so the tyre pressures are down from 27 PSI in the front to 23 PSI in the front 
and from 22 to just 20 and a half PSI in the rear. They are not going to have the same tyre problems they had. Furthermore, Mercedes now will think about rolling off a little bit of their downforce to make it kinder on the tyres. And finally, the track they know more about than anything else is Barcelona. I'm really, really, really sorry, everybody, but this is this reliability or crashing into each other notwithstanding is another Mercedes 1-2. The rest of the field, though, could be very interesting. Can we see Charles Leclerc keep up the resurgence of Ferrari? Will Sebastian Vettel fail to fall out with Ferrari and put in decent performance? Will he fall out with Ferrari and fail and fall out of the race? Who knows? Um, Max Verstappen will be looking to get third and perhaps a cheeky second. Alex Albon will be looking to try and qualify in any way whatsoever that makes some people impressed. In the midfield, it's tight, 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 tight. Will Renault beat McLaren? McLaren beat Renault? And where in the mix will Alpha Tauri be as well? And of course... The enigma that is racing point. So pink, so quick, so unable to deliver a result. Well, apart from results in the legal courts, where they are being protested by literally everybody. They should have Perez back. They will carry on having Lance Stroll. I'm sure they wish they had Nico Hülkenberg. Can they actually finally get a podium or result that that car befits? Because don't forget, that is the car that was first and second last year. Uh, obviously being driven by the Mercedes drivers with completely different brake ducts. <laughs> don't mention the brake ducts. Further down, you know, it's going to be the battle of the back three game with Alfa Romeo, Haas and Williams. All the cars were well set up after testing in the winter. So it'll be interesting to see a full fight between those three teams. But all in all, Barcelona does not tend to lend itself to much overtaking. The Mercedes will qualify at the front and barring disasters, the Mercedes will win. I'm sorry to be depressing to everybody. But hey, after that, it's Spa and Monza and they're way better tracks. Nick Damon there. Um, I, I'm going to disagree with Nick on one point. He was absolutely right on the tyre pressures at last weekend. That's what did for Mercedes, nothing else. But Mercedes don't, didn't have the mo- most downforce. It was Red Bull that had the most downforce, and that's why they didn't do their tyres, because they weren't sliding around as much. It works the opposite way. And, and, and I think a few people got that wrong. Remember, Red Bull has got uh, Adrian Newey drawing the car and he draws a straight line and it produces um, a thousand pounds of downforce but he's right uh, it won't be so much of a problem this uh, weekend have you seen the uh, difference between the Verstappen car and the Albon car in what respect the Verstappen car seems to have lots of little winglets all over it which Albon doesn't ah. post about that in uh, the collective this morning so go back and uh, examine the spy photos Okay, um, the uh, couple of other things as well. I think that Ferrari are trying to make Sebastian quit. He hasn't stopped knowing how to drive. I know we've all been critical of him in the time, but there's something not right going on there. You've also um, said that my theory about everyone moving teams early early is rubbish and isn't going to happen though. So no, no, no. What, what's Nick said do? that. Nick, Nick said that. I, st- I still think... That I, I always thought that... Um, I didn't think that um, Vettel would last last year. I, I think now it's becoming a, a mind, mind games uh, between them. Um, Matthew Hindman uh, pointed out when you were talking about Paul Espargaro, um, as soon as he signed for Honda, KTM started uh, to not like him very much. And... Uh, therefore, they're not going to push him when he's on his way. Um, and also at KTM, Right Turn Lover reminds us that Brad Binder only got the call up because Zarko left. 
KTM prematurely. Both very, very good points. So when you were asking about Aspargaro, then, you know, his, his future is at Honda and KTM seem to have lost interest in him. Uh, and Matthew Hyman reminds me of that. And I think that's about all we have time for. We've no, because you wanted to talk about Formula 2. Odd this, because oh, it's usually that. me that wants to talk about Formula 2. We haven't got time. There's okay. no time. We'll talk about him next week. A tictum, a tictum tantrum again. And, you know, silly things on the radio. He needs to learn. He has still hasn't learned. That's it. That's all I'm saying. He's, he's going he's gonna to do himself out of a potential career if he doesn't calm himself down. Far too much nonsense on the radio in the F2 and F3 at the weekend. I have no problem with people saying, oh, he's pushed me off, because you know that that's going to race control rather than the team. But there was a ridiculous amount of chatter that wasn't required, and Tickton was right on the top of the list, and he's going to find himself unemployable, even if he does bring money. He's still going to find himself unemployable if he's not careful. Really needs to take a deep breath and just let his drive and do the talking because when he concentrates on that, it's actually not that bad. Right, is that all we've got time for? It is. Excellent. Uh, two more shows tomorrow night. Join in from 8 o'clock with Tora, then on the grid. And we'll be around Friday and Saturday with some live motorsport for you. Thanks to all our guests tonight, particularly Richard uh, Dean and Richard Phil Webb. Hansen and Richard Webb. Shea Adam joined us as well. Tim Gray was our executive producer up in London. Uh, the responsible dollar was everywhere. I've been John Hindoff, and I will remain John Hindoff till next week and probably beyond. No time to explain, though, because the llama is eating my pavlova. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.